today is. I'm not really sure because I don't know when I'm going to post this episode. It's a special one. Um, it was impromptu and unplanned. So this will be a bonus at some point, maybe for Saturday. Yeah, probably Saturday. If this is Saturday, I guess you have your answer. So uh, let's chat about some Orthodox heresies, Eastern, Russian, and compare them to Catholicism, you know, for fun. And then we move on to the Great Flood, Noah and the Ark. You know, why did uh, why did only eight people survive? Does that mean nobody else was righteous? Does that mean, you know, some of the people brought up uh, expired before then, or did they die in the flood? Anyways, just some more run-of-the-mill questions along with, was Job real? Was the account metaphor? Was it allegory? Was it literal? Every single bit of it, only parts of it. Um, was it just a fun story to teach a lesson? All these questions are brought to you by people who do not accept the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. And rather than entertaining that idea, the death, burial, resurrection of Christ, and believing, putting their faith in him, asking them to save them, forgive them, and make them born again, let's just talk about some stuff that they don't really care about anyway. Um, so, there you go. <laughs> anyway, then we talk about uh, biblical historical evidence for more of the same type of type of thing, but from a different angle, uh, you know, wh why would there be, you know, accounts of like New Testament event and all these eyewitness things? And largely there's, um, you know, you would expect to see lots of physical evidence, maybe from like the Old Testament, besides it being removed from thousands of years from the New Testament. But you would expect to maybe see some stuff, um, you know, wagon, uh, chariot wheels, etc. I don't know, blades, um, traveling supplies from the Exodus, things like that that were, uh, you know, somehow not swept away through the sands of time, <laughs> literally, or deteriorated or buried or something like that by all the sand. Um, anyway, so we go some, through some of the possibilities. Why, why not? At the end of the day, no one can prove or disprove the events of the Exodus. All people can say is, well, we would expect to see more evidence. And all the counterpoints could say is, well, maybe there was, and maybe someone hit it to further their own religion or agenda. Or, uh, you know, maybe it got really, really buried in sand because, you know, sandstorms are a thing. And, you know, no, as far as I know, nobody's bothered to drain the Red Sea and, you know, really excavate uh, it for evidence. So, you know, there's plenty of reasons. So at the end of the day, everything's going to come down to a matter of faith. Do you believe it? Do it not? But rather than focusing on this or like the two tier tires or whatever, um, if you're going to have to toil about something and whether or not to have faith in it, why don't we just go to the thing that matters? That is Jesus, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. Pray to Jesus directly. Um, get your answers from the source. So that would be my advice. Anyway, enjoy this little bonus thing whenever you hear it and uh, share these links. Check out the Ask a Christian book, grab a t-shirt if you like, support the podcast. The links are in the description. Uh, have an awesome day, whatever day that is icons and the veneration of icons so you know how the catholics venerate mary and they may have a odd statue here or there like uh -huh. the orthodox take that to like they, they turn it to 11 right oh, so like really? oh yeah so like they they genuinely teach that luke you know luke in the scripture that wrote luke mm -hmm. that guy that he painted the first icon of the virgin mary and that that icon is in Moscow, that you can go see it. Okay. Um, yeah. And so you said all the, this may be loud, let me know, I'm changing cat food. Because I guess I have to feed the animals because no one else will. Um, 
but you were saying each of these orthodoxies are so different that they have their very own heresies. So if that's Eastern, oh, yeah. what, what, how many orthodox are there? Like, is there like Greek, Russian, or is, or is there like 20? Uh, there's like, uh, I mean, more than 100. Okay, so like the main ones would be like Russian, Eastern. Yeah, Oriental, Coptic. Yeah. Oh, like, boy. And then, so like, what about Russian Orthodox? Because I know nothing about that either, except they have the weird cross with like the tilted branch thing on it for some right. reason. Right, yeah. I mean, again, they're going to be in the same vein. Like they're just, uh, you know, basically they're, they're worshiping Mary. Um, you know, Jesus is kind of a side thing. Um, you know, there's like the veneration of the icons is what's really, really important. Um, you know, the smells and the bells, you know, it's the, the method of worship is what's really important. Um, they never crack the scripture. Like, and even like, you'll hear Antonus like laugh about this. He'll, he'll like, like, you know who Antonus is, right? He's the Greek guy that is a Christian now. Like he'll roll. Yeah, I haven't seen him in a while either. I think he's in school, but like he'll roll up to like Orthodox priests and start asking them questions about the Bible and they've just never read it. Just like these are people that are Orthodox priests that have like a seminary education. They never even cracked a Bible. That is just so. This is going to be loud. Ah. Oh, it wasn't as bad as I thought. There you go, little kitty. There you go, little kitty cat. That's just so crazy. Like, what what possible reason is there? Like, I, I I just I just don't get it. It's like, did this once upon a time start, and someone thought, oh, you know, this cave where I'm worshiping the one true God of the Bible is a is a very good, sacred, secluded place to worship God. Oh, but it's kind of dark. I'll light a candle, and that turned into two candles. And they're like, hey, let's worship the one true God the total proper way. Um, but you know, it kind of smells musty. Let's light some let's light some incense. You know, just for mm-hmm. the smell. Yeah. And then, like a thousand years later, it's like it's like a smoke machine and like you know seance candles and like all this other stuff. Like, did they ever have it, or have they like they never had the plot in order to lose it, or they started out good and then somehow it just like got way lost and never came back? So, look, the more I study church history, the more I study the fathers. What I realize is that the institutional fathers, like Jerome, were never actual Christians. Like. They just, they didn't have any understanding of the gospel. They didn't have an, I mean, Jerome translated the scripture to Latin. He wrote the Latin Vulgate. Um, Jerome had such non-Christian ideas about salvation and about uh, asceticism um, and just was so nasty um, that like, there's no way he was a Christian. Like, there's just no way. Like, if you read any Jerome and you'd, you'd come away like, that dude was a saint. Like, no, man, you're deluding yourself. Like... So I think that a lot of the institutional church, while they did get some of the things correct in some of the councils, um, by around the 7th or 8th century, the institutional church, like the ones who were writing the history, they were so corrupt and so secular, like we wouldn't even recognize them as Christians. Um, You know, there were councils where they attempted to get back to the biblical faith. And then they murdered those people. <laughs> I was about to say that they probably murdered them. Yeah. So like there's a whole there's a whole thing where like one of the Eastern Orthodox saints rolls in with an army and slaughters 137 people in a church because they were basically saying, like, you know, this whole justification by faith thing is cool. So they were basically Protestants in like the the eighth century. 
and they just murdered them all. I mean, this is what they did. I mean, like, so it wasn't that it wasn't that the Christian faith disappeared. It was that the church was persecuting the Christian faith. I don't, man. I, I, I don't know. It's like a glass glass half full, where like your your view on things. But I mean, ever since I like you know started learning about like you know the institutions and like you know the Catholicism, like the big fancy buildings and like all the thousands of layers of like you know stuff on top of the Bible, um, it's just always like weirded me out. I'm just like, how could people not see that what you had in the Bible is all you will ever need? So it, even if they were completely right, like even if we just grant that, it's unnecessary at best. So it's like, oh, great. You have good traditions for some reason somehow. You know, it's good that you venerate icons and totally don't worship them. That's all good. That's all good. It's unnecessary. So why? And at worst, it's, you know, heretical. So at best, it's totally not necessary. And at worst, yes, it's you've gone astray in your apostate. I, I just don't get it. And then other people, they're just like, Okay, well, I, is it because they never – it can't be that simple. Is it because they've really never read the Bible or never heard, like, you know, one guy on the street be like, Jesus is the way. Pray to Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus. That's how you're saved. I mean, have, have these people, like, really lived under that much of a rock, or am I, like, a unicorn? Yeah. No, I mean, like – I mean, but again, there were thousands of people. There were there were the majority of bishops in the early church – went to a i'm trying to remember it starts with an h there was a council right before the second council of nicaea and it was considered the seventh ecumenical council it had the most bishops attend and their whole thing was returning to biblical orthodoxy like they 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 basically it, it reads like the westminster confession it's nuts i mean it reads like a protestant document and then basically the empress got involved um, from you know Constantinople. They declared them heretics. They said that it wasn't the seventh ecumenical council, that the second council of Nicaea was the seventh when it was really the eighth. The second council of Nicaea had literally half the bishops at it um, that the seventh one did. Um, and then they declared the seventh one null and void. And then 18 years later, a new empress emerges and the Second Council of Nicaea was thrown out. They were anathematized and considered heretics. And then they reinstated the original Seventh Council. Well, then somebody else comes to power and is like, no, 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 no. And this, oh, and this empress was a gem. She was, she's an Eastern Orthodox saint. And the way that she achieved power was that she um, had her son's eyes put out and thrown into a dungeon until he died of his wounds. Yeah, she was great. So then she was like, no, 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 no. This second council of Nicaea, these are the good people. We want these folks. So she picked those guys and then basically threw out all of the Christians from the church. And which Orthodox is this? Eastern? All of the Orthodox. So like all of them were still united back then. This is, oh. like, this is like eighth, this is like ninth century. M says Herrera Council. M says the Herrera Council. Herrera Council. That is correct. Yes. Herrera. Thank you. That's what M says. Is that the Empress's name too, or yeah, is her she was like Theodosius or something? <laughs> wow, that's crazy. Um, one second, Reb. All right, Chris. Uh, what was the original question I asked? Like, what are the different heresies? Okay, that's. And then, yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's it. Any other stuff? I don't think you've poked the Catholics enough this morning. Anything you'd like? I don't know. So, I mean, if you had to pick a, let's not say worse, let's say more far off. 
sounds like Orthodox. Kind Mormon, of. I you know, I don't Mormon. know. I mean, Mormon, Mormon, well, I'm not, we're not considering not considering them. I mean, Between the two apostolic faith faiths, I yeah, I would definitely say that Eastern Orthodox are further off. Like they they just went. They basically, when we read about like the the Gnostics, like in the East, the Gnostics won. They took over the church. Like they won, and and like we're supposed to believe that they were defeated when really they they actually won. And they're the ones who took over the Eastern Church. That's basically what happened. Okay, so, so to conclude this, um, the ultimate way, they have a concept of hell, yeah? Uh, some of them do. Some of them are universalists, like Mr. Andrew. Okay. Uh, he's... Well, here's the other thing about Eastern Orthodox is there's a bishop for everything. So, like, if you're a universalist, there's a bishop. If you are, like, everybody's going to hell, there's a bishop for that. Like, <laughs> if you are all about the rainbow flags, there's an Eastern Orthodox bishop for that. If you are for, you know, pick your poison, whatever your pet theology is, you can find a flavor of Eastern Orthodox that will cater to that. Huh. Um, okay, so between all, all the apostolic people, um, do they at least believe, you know, the death or resurrection of Christ and, you know, for forgiveness of your sin to keep you out of hell? Like, do most of them at least get there? No, they don't they believe go, that Christ's no. sacrifice is propitiatory for your sins. They believe that Christ, it's part of, it's what's called Christus Victor, that Christ and his death on the cross and resurrection gives us victory over death. But sin is different in the Eastern and Western conceptions. But they do not believe in what's called what we would call penal substitutionary atonement, which is what Paul taught. Okay. Like, and they both they both reject PSA. And last last thing, since uh, Russian Orthodox is like the official Russian religion, which I know even less about, <laughs> if that tells you anything, um, like there's a ton of Russian people where I live in Florida, and you know a lot of them are actually Protestants, like you know you or I, uh, but a lot of them still are like Orthodox. So I don't know if that's like cultural orthodox like how catholics are like yeah i'm catholic yeah, and you're cultural. like oh where do you go to church and they're like oh i don't so i don't know how many of them are like ardent practitioners oh except this one guy at, like my daughter's gymnastics thing like this guy like i guess he was like a priest or whatever orthodox thing like he came in and he had i mean he's probably like in his 40s but he was like this super tall gangly guy and he had like the big like black hat thing that looks like a, I don't know, a Christian turban. And he had like the big, the long black robes with like the giant like cross and the big like bling and everything. I'm just like, whoa, dang. Like I had questions, but you know, didn't seem like the right time to go ask. But um, anyway, yeah. So um, is it fair to say that um, you don't know as much about Russian Orthodoxy or if you, if you went there since that was like the official religion, you probably could not play nice and would find yourself in a gulag really fast. I mean, I'm just, I'm not an expert in any orthodoxy. What I would say is that I've read a couple of books. Um, I just uh, went through that scholarly video about, you know, that was, that was uh, written by a seminary professor about the failure of Eastern Orthodox. That's why I'm talking about it this morning. I wouldn't call myself an expert on any of the Orthodox faiths. I mean, I can tell you the difference between miaphysitism and, you know, diphysitism, you know, <laughs> I mean, I can tell you that, you know, I can tell you that some of the theological differences, but I wouldn't say I know that much about orthodoxy. In fact, I would say that most practitioners of orthodoxy don't know that much about <laughs> orthodoxy because they don't write anything down.
So, Reb, how art thou today? Good. I think I will attempt an argument for universalism. <laughs> okay. So my argument would be, so I'd ask you the question, because maybe this first question will end the argument immediately, right? So just this very first point. So between Moses and Jesus, we have the fact that Jesus says that the law was given in one way because of the hardness of men's hearts, and that this is the actual law because basically your hearts have softened up, right? That's like, I'm changing it now because your hearts are no longer as hard as they once were. It's kind of the implied statement, which is that, is that an acceptable interpretation? No. I'm going to say no. The only thing I'm familiar with is the hardness of heart. Um, if there's another reference, someone help me out because I'm only thinking that was uh, regarding a divorce. And it says Moses allowed divorce, you know, because of the hardness of your heart, right. not anything yes. about all the law. Right, 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 right. No, no. Because of the hardness of your heart then. For divorce. Now I'm telling. Right, 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 right. But so because of that, I'm not doing it because your hearts are no longer hardened. Otherwise, Moses was wrong to do it for the hardness of hearts because he's not doing it for the hardness of hearts. So, I mean, the hardness of hearts has to change between those two times. That's not what Jesus talked about. The heart yeah, is wicked don't. and deceitful above all else. Who can understand it? That never changes. Well, because like, so, in, yeah, I mean, what Chris said, but in John 9, like we talked about yesterday, like, you know, Jesus specifically quotes a, 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 pro a prophecy in Isaiah talking or a thing in Isaiah talking about how, you know, these people have eyes, but they don't see and they have ears and they don't hear kind of like the people we talk to every day. That's why they brought that up. And then it went on to say, otherwise, you know, like the, I don't know if it says hard heart, but otherwise like they would turn from their ways and basically see the light and be forgiven. And all would be well. So he's, he's, he says something there that, that would kind of refute this idea that people's hearts were soft because if people's hearts were soft, everyone would be Christian. No, 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 no. softer. I'm not saying they are softest, but they are softer. Like in the sense that, they were hard. They were so hard that Moses had to give a law about divorce one way. But I am giving you this other law because you're now soft enough to hear it. No, he never said that. No, but that's the implication of Moses did this because of the hardness of your hearts. If Moses did it because of the hardness of hearts, either Moses was right to do it because of the hardness of hearts, or he should not have done that because of hardness of hearts. No, that's so not at now, all what the passage implies. What the passage is simply talking about is that in terms of infidelity, Moses gave you the certificate of divorce because of the hardness of your hearts, because right. it is very difficult for humans to overcome infidelity. Now, I what agree. Jesus was saying is that the in God's perfect conception of marriage, there is never any breaking of the marriage. And so because of the hardness of our hearts, this one exception was allowed. That exception continued and still continues to this day. Jesus did not change what Moses had laid down. Well, wait, the, the difference is the under the Mosaic law, you didn't have to get divorced. It wasn't infidelity. That was the only reason you'd have to be divorced. You could get divorced for any number of reasons. Right, but that right, wasn't were... written in the Mosaic law. That was, again, the oral Torah that Jesus constantly uh, was going against. So Jesus had a history. This is one of the reasons they crucified him is that he was a Pharisee who rejected the oral Torah. Okay. So your statement is the Mosaic law on types of divorces was actually, so now I'll have to go do my research on Mosaic yeah. law on divorces. I'll go check. Yep. 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 So the, the written bit was real clear. They had developed 
a oral Torah around that that Jesus was calling false. He also calls it Jesus, false with the Sabbath. You know, it's another way that uh, he calls it false when he uh, when his disciples eat on the Sabbath. So that's another example of him opposing the oral Torah as opposed to what's established and written and given by Moses. And just like Correct. that, my furry friend, you have fallen into our stew. Ooh, I don't, I don't rabbit stew. Uh, I mean, oh snap! I don't, I don't. I mean, my dad made Hassenpfeffer once when we were kids. My dad was German, and so we we had rabbit stew. It was actually quite good. That's why you're so dour. <laughs> yeah, it's because I'm German. I'm half German, half Irish. The joke, the joke was always that I was too drunk to invade anybody. <laughs> That's funny. I am sixty-seven percent Irish. However, they figure that out. And point oh two percent Nigerian. So you know, whatever. Hey, Marquise, how are you doing? We're claiming you as black now, Nate. I, I'm told I could be a, like one of the higher ups in the Hebrew Israelites as long as I can like prove that that it was on my dad's side. That's Ooh. what I was going to say. Like, I, I was uh, apparently. Say. Yeah, because apparently they want like really white looking people, uh, you know, who who they consider legit to be in like prominent positions in the Hebrew Israelite uh, movement, because I, I guess that like gives them credibility or some something like that somehow for did reasons. Did you see the video? Did but, you see the video of the lady kissing like all of their shoes? What? There's a video circulating in the internet. No. <laughs> Oh, wait, was it wait, 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 wait. So I, right I just now. checked. She's auditioning I, for a role of footstool. Oh, my goodness. That When I say that, so, uh, Steph is going to laugh so hard. Um, no, it was uh, some other Caucasianly persuaded um, young woman. Well, she wasn't young. She's probably like middle age or older. And she was like, they were walking by in their purple Power Ranger suits. And, and she was kissing their shoes, kissing their boots. Steph to me. You know, performing, you know, what the Bible says, apparently, that people are going to do in the New Kingdom, you know, be their slaves and kiss their boots. How so, much do we have to there's that stuff to get her to come up here? I mean, I can keep going. <laughs> she's probably trying to, like, feed her children, like, you know, homemade breakfast that she's currently squishing from, like, you know, carrots, fish, like, picked on the farm fresh. And yeah, she's turning she's her to... own butter right now. <laughs> Eight hours for a tablespoon. Right. She had to go out to milk the cow because only whole milk straight from the udder is good enough. Like a little house on Steph's Prairie, like the yeah. farm. The she is, She's like the prepper. Yeah, the, the prepper crazy lady. Like She's busy on her loom spinning Angora rabbit, rabbit fur. That is true. Hey, did you know that, Rabscuttle? That Steph has two Angora rabbits that get shaved and she makes yarn from their wool. Very cool. Yeah. It's like the ultimate hipster thing. I was like, wow. <laughs> I don't think you could get more peak hipster. Yeah, I mean that's like, not Starbucks hipster, like wannabe poser hipster. That's like legit. That, that's yeah. like too hipster. That's like homeless guy in New York hipster. Oh, and is it possible that Eve died in the flood? That would be my other question of the day. Yeah, so she died earlier than that. When no, when does it say she died at all? It says Adam died at like uh, 140 years before the flood. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they don't really mention when women die ever right. in genealogy. Yeah. So 
because I know it's shocking. Not in the genealogy, yeah, well, just it is. the narrative. It literally, it banned. literally is. It literally is patriarchy, uh, Nate. That that is what that is. When they only care about the men's history in the Bible, yeah, that's yes. called patriarchy. Okay, but Remember also patriarchy go with me. Good and blessed by God. Yeah, and is it always a bad thing, right? If they're like, yes. if it's like, the, if if it's like, if it's like, you know, a matriarchal society, like in a fantasy series I read, you know, it's uh, also a bad thing. About, it's about this. It's about this drow race, like these dark elves, right? And it's totally a matriarchal system. The men are like oppressed, beaten, murdered, like discarded, like like fodder. Um, yeah, also I would say that thing. would be. I would say that's bad. But if it's <laughs> if it's a totally literal matriarchal system, and the only way that affects my life is because uh, they keep track of the women and not men, I'll be like, oh, the matriarchy. All right, well, fine. So hey, I mean, so I in this case, really though, care. Well, but if I they like, beat me and kill cases. me, then I would care. Well, I care in both cases. In both cases, it's the issue of we are saying one gender is significantly more relevant and important than the other. That's what we're saying. Well, yeah, but I mean, you know, people like it's like a I don't know. It's like a faux outrage. Like there are probably a handful of people. OK, there's there's lots of people that are going to board with you and agree with you. But then when it comes down to how much do you really care? Some would break well, off. And be like, OK. And then by the time you get down to how much of a hill are you willing to die on? There would be a few people gluing themselves to a tree no, for the major. That was no. That's why my question was: Did Eve die in the flood? That's why your question. I. That's why I'm kind of curious. Like, so is it possible Eve died in the flood? Well, there's lots of things that are possible. Like, I mean, you know, like Chris, yeah. like I didn't really mention her, but I mean, I don't yeah. know if I'd go with did Eve die? Why didn't it mention her for a case against the patriarchy? Wait, I don't think oh, it's possible because then that would imply that Eve was not one of the people worth saving, right? Eve wasn't one of the people worth saving. She was a founder of like she was like the sort of original sin, so of course she wasn't worth saving. Well, she well, got her first, and that? then she carried on with her life serving God and having children and populating. But I mean, I don't think that she's like Judas Ev as an eternal. We've already yeah, established like a... that Steph is not going to mean girl Eve at the marriage of the Lamb. She's going to roll up and sit with Eve and be empathetic. Yeah, I get Eve. When Noah, Noah was rap. born when Adam was still alive. I'm pretty sure it was like real close to that. So we looked out at the world. It was like very, very shortly after Adam died. So unless the world truly just went corrupt between 130 years after Adam died... I thought it was like the whole world was corrupting the entire time. Yeah, like it talks about the whole planet was evil except like eight people. But yeah, yeah and that, Eve. that makes me that makes me think Eve would have had to die before then because so so of course they were never restored to like you know the full unity they had with God before they broke his command. But I mean, off the top of my head, I don't know, Chris. Like they were pretty much reconciled, right? Like God like hooked them up with some proper clothing and and stuff like that. Like they. They may not have returned to their full status, but I mean, they were the, the end of the story, as far as we know it. They were on like decent terms with God again. Yeah. They were redeemed. Yes. Yeah, that's what I thought. So Eve, Eve wouldn't have died in the flood because it was like only Noah and his family were godly. I don't think that. Yeah. So she would have had to have peace out. Yeah. Well, so like Methuselah died. died this Methuselah died the same year as the flood. So it's kind of coincidental. So I'm guessing you could have said, like, are you saying Methuselah died like a week before the flood happened or something? Is that, or did he die in the flood? Go ahead. What? Why is it 
the scholars will say like, oh, the gospels are written within 30 to 90 AD. And people are like, oh, John couldn't have written that at age 90. But then Rab's over here like, Methuselah died this month of this year, thousands yeah. of years prior to the gospel. I, just sure. like, in the gospel, like in the Old Testament, Methuselah dies the same year as the flood. So it's going to happen to be like in that same year. So while Noah is building the ark, Methuselah is around and not one of the eight chosen people and is one of the bad people that's not part of Noah's family, despite wandering around. Well, so no, you can't a lot say of that. these Sure you can. Oh, okay. Would you be getting that from where, like, the, the Bible talks about how, like, the whole earth was full of evil except eight, eight people? And so, like, yeah. he didn't have to die because of the flood, but if he was just alive during the general time of the flood— that was that would have had to make him evil because the Bible says the whole earth was evil except like Noah and his family. Right. Is that why you're saying that? Or have I just helped yes. you out? No, no, that was it. That's exactly what I'm saying. Yes. Okay, that's a fair point. I have another point. Um, maybe we should just go read the story. Does it actually, because I know, I know there's references like after or during the flood where it says like Noah and like, you know, the eight people or whatever. But whenever, like that specific verse, like I'm, I'm just curious. Maybe I'll read it myself. Does it say, like, the whole earth was evil except for, like, eight people? Or does it wait until later to say that? Does anyone know? I'll just go read it myself. Yeah, I think it says Noah is righteous in the sight of the Lord. Only only Noah was righteous. And, in fact, I think it says only Noah was righteous. And therefore, go find your family, and this is what you're to do. It wasn't even your family's righteous. It's just you are the only man that is righteous. Uh, you guys talk. I'm going to look this up real quick. Or not. Okay, I'll, I'll no, talk. And... We're waiting for you. It's, it's Genesis 5. Oh, it's that. Six is where, yeah. Genesis 6 is where it starts talking about God being upset. Genesis 5 is where it talks about the age of people and who was born when. Okay, and so where do you get Methuselah? Are you doing like your own math? Because I, I, at a quick glance, it seems like, uh, let's see, he lived 969 years according to the book of Genesis. However, the Bible does not explicitly state that Methuselah died during the time of the Great Flood. The genealogy in Genesis 5 lists Methuselah as the son of Enoch and the grandfather of Noah. Um, the flood story, which is recounted in Genesis 6 to 9, involves uh, Noah and his family being spared. There's no specific mention of Methuselah's death coinciding with the flood in the biblical account. Uh, some interpretations, rabbit, uh, speculate that he might have died shortly before the flood, but the Bible itself does not provide a definitive timeline for the death in relation to the flood. So hop up on my altar and go ahead and... Uh, no, that was the year of. No, no, the point is the math is the year. That's why the, there's some debate, because it happens in the year of the flood. That's kind of the, pro, the point. So that's well, what it, I said. He could have died well, any time before is it possible in that same year. Well, well we're getting to like, we're, we're getting into like, oh, hang, hang, hang on, hang, we're getting into like creation math, right? It's like we're trying to say things. So if the uh -huh. Bible doesn't specifically say, and people are like, you know, doing math, this is like the same, the same argument as like a young earth creation, how people are like, the earth is 7,000 years old. And people are like, no, you're so dumb. Your God is a lie because the earth is not that old. And then you have a whole swath of Christians like the Bible doesn't say it's that old. The Bible gives some markers and people do math based on those markers. So the Bible isn't necessarily saying that. They will say it is, but it's based on their math and their interpretations. They could be wrong. They're humans. So it's the same thing. If, you, if people are like the Bible doesn't specifically say, you know, thus Methuselah died at the time of the flood. Um, and people are just doing their own math and interpretations to come up with that based on biblical markers, 
the Bible is not saying that. People are using well, biblical markers to say that, and they could be wrong. So it seems sorry, like— you think the ma- I'm curious. You're saying people adding could be wrong? Add no, I'm saying— I'm saying incorrect? I'm, I'm not saying Nate, Nate, believe, Nate believes in math. I'm saying okay. if there's one variable that someone is missing or not taking into account, like, oh, I had this variable wrong. Oh, oops, that throws my whole theory off. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, if you've got, if you've got one piece of incorrect data that you're, you know, you're doing a different way, not saying the Bible is giving wrong data, but if someone is, like, misinterpreting a data or thinks, like, oh, this should be 10 years based on whatever, um, and it's actually this should be 40 years based on whatever, it was just a problem with them, um, then that could throw off their entire thing. Which sounds well, but, like why there's some people, a small amount of people that think is perhaps you do, um, but it's a hotly debated topic, and seems like most people don't really think that. Well, based on my 30 so second how, Google search. Well, so how long before the flood did Methuselah die? I have no idea. It could have been 10,000 years. Could it have been five years? Is it irrelevant? Uh, no, it, it's not irrelevant. I'd say the only point of relevancy is the point I brought up, um, which I guess yeah. you agree to, <clears throat> yes. which would be the claim that the whole earth was wicked. So let me go find that because that's what I was actually trying to look for. Who was trying to talk? Was, was Marquise? Someone was trying to talk. It was the apostle. Yes. Oh, Marquise, go ahead and talk. Let me look up what I was actually trying to look up. No, yeah, I was just gonna I was just gonna agree with you that um I think in the context of the, the literature passage, um, because obviously this is Moses writing Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, so he's writing this account, um, and it's based on uh oral tradition, then the I guess the idea of the con um how would I say this in Englishy terms? Um, because I'm getting ready for the school day. Uh, I would say the thesis of the passage, the controlling idea being about the flood, um, that does not discredit the validity of the secondary or tertiary, um, uh, what's the word, details, but with the main idea being that there might have been some variable, some aspect of, um, you know, in mathematical terms, some variable that was omitted because the author didn't necessarily deem it relevant which you would necessarily need in order to complete this math properly. I think to Nate's point, math is math. You know, we believe in math. Two plus two is four. We can see that whether or not it's an explicitly stated truth from the scripture. You know, we're not those bubbas. Um, but by the same token, I was just going to agree with Nate that there might be some some variable in the calculation that was omitted because it wasn't the central focus. I'm just tying in the literary perspective. It was omitted not to be intentionally vague or evasive um, or to be misrepresentative of the facts, but simply because it wasn't the chief or principal point of but, the passage. That's all. I have your answer, Reb. Oh, go ahead, Nate. Okay. We find in Genesis 6, starting in 5, the Lord saw that wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only on evil continually. And the, it goes on to say the Lord regretted he made people. So does that mean God can regret? There's another conversation we've, we've had plenty and no, that's not what that means. Um, but so that's all it says. So it says the Lord saw wickedness with man was great in the earth and every intention of his thought was only on evil continually. And then we skip down a little bit and it says, talks about the generations of Noah. And it says... Uh, let's see. It was corrupt for everything was corrupt. And God said, Noah, I've determined to make an end of life. 
hang on, there's something, I just read the whole thing. Let me find it again. Something that says where Noah has found favor with God. So, okay, so the key point is what I just read. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man, wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now, just hang on one second. And let me find the part where he says he found Noah found favor with him. Now the earth was corrupt. Da 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 da. I've determined to make an end of all flesh. Make yourself an ark. Make rooms cover it. Make a roof. Build the ark. Okay. And then he says, "Oh come on, where did Noah find favor with him?" It, okay, it's in Genesis six. I just read it. But anyways, so we have that the thought of man was evil, and then where it gets to the part about who God's going to save. It says, Noah has found favor with God. And then it goes on to say how it doesn't mention anyone else. It says, Noah found favor with God. And then he goes into like telling him to build a boat. And then he says, you're going to get two of every animals. And, you know, I'm going to continue. I'm going to establish my covenant with you. So you're going to uh, bring. So it's all predicated on covenant. So it's not saving people just because they were righteous. So that that could, in theory, exclude Eve or Methuselah or any other person that could have possibly been righteous. So it wasn't that he was only saving them because it was righteous. It was because Noah found favor with him. So it, his sons and his daughter and his wife, or, or whoever is mentioned, the eight people, um, it doesn't mention them as finding favor with God. But clearly, he says, I'm going to establish my covenant through you, so bring these people along. So it could, it's two, it could be like twofold. A, yes, they were righteous. They weren't evil people doing evil things. And secondly, it's to establish his covenant. Methuselah, or Eve, were really, really old, or any other righteous person who, who God didn't need to carry on his covenant, these could have been righteous people, and they didn't need to be saved because they would just naturally expire. So by just reading, I found all this in Genesis 6. It's only 22 verses long. So somewhere in there is what I'm telling you. I just read the whole thing. Um, but, right, so if Methuselah was around, and God wants to save Noah and his family because they're righteous, and also to continue his covenant, or to establish his covenant, no other righteous person would be needed. So that doesn't mean God needs to kill them. But if Methuselah was, you know, by, by what I'm saying, if Methuselah was like really, really old, he's walking around taking his last breaths, that could have been all the way up until water was rising up to his neck and then be like, oh, okay, I've lived long enough ah, and died of totally natural causes. Um, so God didn't kill him in the flood to punish him for being evil. Yet God didn't need to save him because he didn't need Methuselah, a really old dude, to carry on his covenant. He had all the people he needed in those eight. So repent and believe the gospel. <laughs> gotcha. What do you think about that? It's just entertaining that we have Methuselah wandering around watching Noah build an ark <clears throat> and no interaction between the two going, hey, uh, yo, God, um, why is this guy building an ark? Like, None of that's going on, which is kind of we don't like know we that. don't get any details of that story, right? And we get no details oh, well, of the story. We may not get details. Yeah, so we think we would hope that there'd be a nice little detailed story of that. It'd be fascinating, kind of like Job had all sorts of details, and you believe all the Imagine stories. Imagine how Job many were missing. Like, yeah, but we Imagine don't have any of the details. So this goes into another question I have. Then, and we'll change off topics. I'm sorry, I'm like bouncing Do all over the place. My apologies. Do you concede, no. sir? Before we move on, well, there's nothing. To, well, there's nothing to concede. That I have a perfectly valid working hypothesis, and I didn't need to do clever interpretation to do it. I just read Genesis 6. Right. Doesn't mean it's, said, mean it's right, doesn't mean it's wrong, but it's perfectly valid, and it was easy to get to. Sure. Yeah, okay. Sure. But he could have died on. in the flood, is what also we say. So 
this also goes into sure, kind of another point is um job um why do we or we being you why is it at all assumed that job is correct you don't know the author you don't know why it was written you have no distance of anything other than well tradition just says people kind of like the story so what makes it the word of god versus just an arbitrary fun story that people told each other like how would you tell the difference between those wait are we going to tell the story of job for fun yeah i mean (laughs) man now i know why the blood had so much rabbit stew Okay. The story, no, the story, the story of Job is to explain why bad, good things have or bad things happen to good people. That's kind of the point of that story, right? It's, bad things happen to good people. Here's an example of it. Don't ask questions. Is how the story goes. So, well, that's the modern interpretation of it. But yeah, look, but here's not. Don't ask questions. Yeah, the, the the thing about it is like, look, the 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 Jews in the intertestamental period looked at all of the books that had been floating around and they established the the canon and actually rabbi uri has a really good i think he taught for a good hour on this topic on exactly what happened how they came to the conclusions they did what were the you know the uh the uh categories that they used um it's fascinating stuff it's like really interesting jewish history christians adopted the jewish canon because you know, everybody had, you know, that was an early Christian was a Jew and they had already accepted that as canon. And so to ask the question, why is Job included and Enoch is not, that it's a, it's a fairly complex question. I mean, I, well, I, we could so, but, ask Rabbi if he's here. Well, let's talk about though the interpretations. Like I've, I've been in many rooms with Uri as well and or Abba these days. And as he'll point out, it was meant to be this is interpreted, or he'll tell you, this is interpreted as what people understood God was at the time. This is our understanding of the world and understanding of God's nature, and it is subject to change and have revision as we understand it. So if you accepted Job as this is the understanding that we constantly re-evolve and reinterpret and go for, hey, that's great. But the Christian tradition, especially that of Nate and Chris, is no— these are literally the words God spoke at this time to these people at this thing doing this. Here it is, absolute historical accuracy without any question of a doubt. That's a difference in including those two books, right? Or including the book from the Jews as opposed to including the book in your Bible. Well, lucky for you, we have two Jewish folk that can come up and talk about this, Malak and uh... Yeah, and real quick, I just want to say, hey, welcome, Zed, and Malak, man, it's been forever, glad you're here, Um, yeah, so let's just throw you into the fire and answer this, but um, the other thing, I I would just make a quick point to say, you know, backing up before before these guys talk about that thing, um, whenever we don't have details, I mean, it's just like, you know, the claim in the Bible that says, you know, if if just the works of Jesus were documented, there wouldn't be paper in the earth to contain all the stuff he did. Does that literally mean that? But the point is, you would be missing a lot of details. So some people, like you perhaps may say, well, see, if we had more details, we would believe. And I would say, well, no, I don't think you did. I don't think well, you would. Anyways, but I mean, there's would. claims about, well, or uh, I don't think so. Because, again, Jesus said miracles right in front of people's faces, yet they still didn't believe. Anyway, yet so that, that's believe. just— Wait, 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 wait. He did the miracles to make some people believe. 
So and yet, how many people still did believe? But that's okay. Some more people did believe because of those miracles. So to say there's pointless to do miracles because some people won't doesn't mean that the miracles weren't positive, weren't good because some people did. So like that, that's always seemed to be a really lame argument to say, oh, why would he do this if only one in 10 people, because one more person that's not going to hell because of this little, this little miracle. That seems like a reasonable expenditure of infinite power. Except well, what you'll end up. Can, well, hang on, hang on. We're getting off. I didn't mean this to take this long. You're arguing from the, the affirmative. I'm arguing from the negative. It, it's, let's set that for after this. Uh, didn't mean to derail that. Sorry. But uh, yeah, Malik, would you like to answer that? And then McZed, if you want to chime in. Um, what, what was yeah. the actual question, Rev? You want to, or do you remember yeah. it? Yeah, go ahead if you remember it. Yeah, Job. The question of, it was Job, is Job a literal historical account of what actually happened? So do the Jewish people tend to believe Job is literally God and Satan discussing things in heaven in voices, talking back and forth, and then doing things directly to this human and coming down and talking to this human? Is that literally the historical interpretation? This is absolutely historically. If I went back in a time machine, I would see this kind of thing happen. Well, um, I'd give a couple of answers. Um, One, uh, in terms of the actual narrative of Job, what we, what any human would see on the human level would be a guy who got a report that his wealth was gone, his family was gone, and then got uh, uh, sick and uh, injured while he was in the act of mourning. And then he has just a long debate with his friends. That, that seems to be the event that's occurred. The first chapter is about like God talking with the angels. You know, that's a good question. Seemingly only a prophet would say that. And then like there's a tornado at the end, which is, again, after all the long poetry, Hard to know whether there was a literal tornado, but let's say there was a tornado too. So would you, in the event, uh, is this book of Job depicting an event where there was a person who got news that all of his possessions were gone, that his family was dead, and while he was mourning them, uh, got covered in boils and then cursed God on the seventh day of his mourning? None of that sounds too crazy to me. Um, That being said, within the uh, rabbinic sources, as I understand it, Bear with me on this one, because this is even this is even strange by Jewish standards. There is, I believe, a 10 way argument as to who wrote Job and in what era, Um, which is to say a lot of people disagree about this particular book. Some people say it's very, very old. Moses wrote it. Some say he was a contemporary of Abraham based upon the location he's in, uh, which could also just be a historical referent. Meaning if I'm telling the story of Job and I want to place it in an era, I attach it to the location or name or place from the Torah that references Abraham. And then that throws it into that era, which gives us a sort of conceptual framework as to when these insights were developed, according to Jewish thought. Uh, which puts him roughly as a contemporary of Abraham. Uh, The way the rabbis usually explain it is that he was a friend of Abraham, that uh, he learned under Abraham, and because of Abraham's success from his techniques of being nice to people, um, Lot, uh, sorry, uh, Eov, similar to Lot, was able to benefit from that as a technique. He found that he could make his life better if he was nicer to people, but the way the rabbis explain it, he did it out of like, a a simple sense of personal gain. He he was trying to improve his life. And if you follow Abraham's course, it will result in good life. The the discussion between the Satan and God seems to be a different kind of a commentary, right? It's not just picking on a random guy because it says specifically that he's a righteous guy. Like why would the verses that are about to like destroy this guy say, oh, and he's totally great. He doesn't deserve anything that's about to happen to him, right? 
the idea of the Satan, uh, Satan, under a Jewish conception, and he pops up in different areas in the Midrash when stuff happens, is usually he attacks the best. He doesn't attack everybody, only the best. Meaning the Satan's role, according to this, and you, you see this also in the narrative and the way he's talking with God, he rejects the theory that somebody's good enough. He rejects it. He says, you think this is the great guy to, to, to give the Torah to, to, to give him uh, all of these benefits, to shower him with blessings? Prove it. I and God say says, wait, wait, that, wait, so it makes sense. Are you saying God said he's simply the best? He's better than all the rest. No. I'm saying that Job Eov was a certain level of good. He was good to the people around Job. him, and it resulted <laughs> in benefit to him. The argument, the argument from Satan is that Job is not good enough because he's only doing it for his material benefit. And that explains the nature of the bet. If you take away all the blessings he got from praising you, he would abandon you. That was the claim. And Abraham, by contrast, as the story goes, didn't. He was told to abandon everything that was important to him. His firstborn son that he waited 100 years to have from his wife, Sarah, who was the uh, surrogate daughter from his uh, dead brother. He wanted to produce that kid, and God told him to give it up. And then the story is that without any complaint whatsoever, he does, and God then sees that he is worthy. He's truly committed. It's not just about the material benefit for Abraham. So that's the distinction between Abraham and Lot. Lot is an example of someone who was given the test to say he wasn't good enough and failed. He, he wasn't good enough. He did uh, curse God on the seventh day. And then the rest of the book is really Wait, a deep load, dive into that kind of loss of faith. Are those the same words? You keep saying load. Do you mean Job? Is that just the other uh, Sorry, pronunciation I, of that word? I, I did keep saying load. That's a mistake. Load was oh, Abraham's a nephew. I meant Eob. Yeah. That's why I was totally, I was totally confused oh, there just for a second. Sorry. I thought we were talking about it. So my, mistake, stories. my bad. Yeah. No, no. Reb, Reb, I, I know you said you wanted a Jewish perspective and, and you got it. Um, I want to also um, get Malik because Malik sort of speak first, but then he didn't. Are you there, Malik? Can you give your yeah, I'm, I'm here. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think the, I think the rab, Rabbi did a good job on giving you some kind of uh, uh, of why we have the Book of Job. And, and again, ten ways. So it's subjective on why we have the you know. But I, I want to point out from you know from uh, the Tanakh, the Tanakh clearly speaks about Job outside of Job as a real person. And Ezekiel um, Ezekiel mentions Job in the line of Noah and Daniel. Um, and so we would have to say that Daniel and Noah were not real persons. We're saying that Job's not a real person. So, I mean, the, the, the New Testament calls Job again, mentions him as a real person. I think that's, to me, that's sufficient. That if the Bible within its, within its internal narrative demonstrates that Job is a real person, listing him with other real characters, it's sufficient to me. But then what would you say about, like, um, Michael or Gabriel? Like, you're not going to say those are real people. You're going to say those are concepts, some kind of forces of nature, right? But Job's not mentioned in the list of those names. No, but what I'm saying is just because the verses list names, that doesn't mean that they're real. They could be referencing ideas from certain eras. Like, for example, it sounded like your list was non-Jews, except for Daniel. Noah, yeah, so, no, but, but it mentions, it literally says, even if Daniel and Noah and Job did this. Right, that sounds like they're talking about people having prophecy outside of uh, like Torah, Judaism, and Israel. But, but, but regardless of no, what no, they're I'd, I'd talking about, list. it's still a list of names of people that you and I would agree were real people. 
Well, listen, listen, I'll tell you, my position is pretty straight. I do actually think Job is a real story about a guy. And I think that this is a Jewish expression of that event. Uh, I don't, but I also leave space for the possibility that it's simply a narrative to convey a point. Oh, yeah, no one's denying that. That is a legitimate opinion, and it kind of fits, too. No, I'm not denying that. I'm saying that's just an opinion. Right. Say, but what, it's, but, right. It's, but, I'm simply the only the only uh, contention I have with you is labeling it just an opinion versus calling it a legitimate opinion. And I would call it legitimate. Opinion. Yes. Okay. Legitimate, though. Legitimate yeah, means legitimated yeah, by some higher authority, the rabbinic council. I'm in. Hey, Courtney, welcome. Would you like to get on in this? Hey, guys, how are you? Good morning. So far, so good. Um, yeah, I, I think Job was a real person. I think it was a real story. I think it uh, is in the Bible to teach us quite a lot, actually. Um, humility, I think it is meant to teach us uh, that God, while bad things happen, he's still in control, that there's a divine plan, that um, it's meant to teach us that no matter how righteous we think we are, we're still not as righteous as God's standard requires us to be for our own salvation. Um, I think it requires one to uh, look at uh, when bad things happen to us. Is it because God did it or is it because of our own personal right, right. sins and actions? Right. The, the real meat of Job is the argument, right? The, yeah. the, two, the bet takes place in the first two chapters, which are quick. The next, like, 30 are him arguing with his friends about how unfair life is, how yeah. death is better than existence, how good things happen to bad people and bad things, horrible things happen to good people. And he he takes it seriously. He rejects every one of the standard arguments you give against the idea of bad things happen to good people. And he throws them all away. He destroys them all. It's only until the last guy, Alifaz, uh, stands up and gives the final answer. Uh, and then God shows up and says, yep, he's right. Yep, exactly. And you know, what's crazy is a lot of Christians will actually say that the last guy, the young guy, which is the guy who says, I have sat by this whole time and listened yes, to all he's you very old, humble. Yeah, all you old folks over here given all these wrong answers, but now it's my turn to speak. Hear my words. Um, and he basically slaps them in the face with reality and says, You're, you think it's your righteousness. You think that you're so blameless and perfect and you, and you blame God and you act as though, you know, the actions that he allows or he physically does are wrong. But then he goes and kind of lays out the case that, um, it's tricky. Kind of, it's kind of, of, here's the thing. The, the weird thing about Job is the conclusion. You can't wrap it up with a button because there's so many arguments before the conclusion that seem to undermine it. The conclusion is extremely nuanced. The, the it, Job is a difficult, I would say hard to understand text. Like there's a lot of philosophy going back and forth and it's very poetic and aggressive uh, in, in each one of the positions that it's taken. Uh, so it'll, it'll fly you one way or the other. Like when you hear his opponents talk, you'll agree with them. If you're reading the book properly, you'll say, this is a good argument against his claim. And then when he argues back, you'll say, that's a good response. That yeah. destroys what they think. Yeah. Like to go through Job, you really have to go through the full argument and destruction and rebirth that goes on in this state of mourning, like this ultimate destitution of man. That's that's the perspective you got to take with Job, which is why it's tough. It's tough to get through. I actually, I like read, I don't like to personally read it. I like to put it on audio Bible and allow and just sit and listen to it. Because it is very poetic. Yeah. And I like a the lot way of imagery. 
I like the way that um, different people, I happen to like the NIV guy's voice. Mick, hmm. Mick something. Is, is no, that's the, good. The, the voice and pronunciation of the speaker is very important. We, we yeah. have laws about that. And so it kind of brings you into the story. He pauses where he should. He he gets loud where he should. and he Right, he's engaged in the story. Yeah, and so it really kind of brings it alive. And so... Um, I think that's that that really helps to kind of understand the story. But yeah, I, I think so. I think as you read, if you don't already know the end of the story and you're listening and you're reading in consecutive order, you're like, oh, that dude. Yeah, I know. It's, it's just a, an emotional roller coaster. Yeah, um, yeah, I agree. Well, that sounds like a lot of agreement. Rab, so it sounds like the consensual answer to your question is Job's a real guy. No, that wasn't the, the question. Right. That was actually never the question. Yeah, he was asking oh. about why it was included and not uh, the book of en Enoch. Uh, or like well, that. Well, that that was like a partial question. Really, more or less of. Did you get an answer? You <laughs> no. Right. So Michael's point. Like, let me put it this way. McZed's well, point of Joe, hey, not the right. the the organization yeah, of yeah. Enoch, which was a different project. Right. I understand. So my my the answers I got was look, is it reasonable that someone suffered? and got boils and then got cured afterwards. And this is the story of a human that had this happen to him. Yeah, going to Courtney's point, is it possible, and Courtney and McZed's point of, look, it's back and forth. It's this interesting evolution of thought and discussion and argument that could evolve over time that people like put together as they revi revised and revised the story, adding layer after layer no, over a period of 20 to... I'm saying if you simply read the story, you're going to be taken on an emotional I, roller coaster and believe several I, different things over the course of the reading. I am saying that the back and forth of the discussion as you're reading it is easily explained by a century of evolving the arguments inside a set of tribes that go... That's an well, approach. What if he you said give that as an explanation, yeah, I guess. I absolutely that, can. It, it's so a weak here, argument, This is what though. I'm giving now. No, no, no. It's not, it's not it, an it argument is. against it. It's, it's, do you want me to explain it's not an argument, argument against, Or do you just want to no, no, let me, let me, saying it's weak? Well, no, I, I want to state, it's not the fact it's a weak argument. In fact, I think what I'm All pointing right, out is here. I'm interrupting you. Okay, let me just talk. Since no one's got oh, an answer. You, you've been, oh, he left. Oh, well, too bad. No, he's muted. He's done. Um, oh, in terms well, of the, oh, sorry, go on. I was going to say, since we've been talking like 20 minutes and he's not got an answer, let me just tell you all what I Google. So it About seems... The What's the question? Yes. It, why was it the book of Enoch included in the canon and Job was? And it seems that since, you know, no one's answered this in 20 minutes, let me just give it a shot from Google. So it could be based on inclusion criteria. So whatever that is, we could dig into that. But, you know, there would be certain criteria that perhaps the book of Enoch didn't meet. Something a little more concrete... Yes would be emphasis <laughs> on legal and prophetic texts. So if uh, if the idea of the Torah was to focus on like legal texts, the law and prophetic texts, no. things like that. Well, hang on. You can argue with Google. You're not arguing with me. I'm just parroting this because no one's going to No, I'm arguing with you the assumption you just stated. Oh, okay. It's not an assumption. I'm reading it. So it's an assumption. No, what you just said you stated. I, 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 just, read. I, I would like to say. I, I am really determined to get through this no, word. I, I, yeah, go idea. through it. Just stop ad-libbing. I'd just like to say I'm, okay. I'm thrilled with the idea that. Okay, you wait, you be muted. This is the answer as Google states it. Okay, so number two, if there is an emphasis, okay, 
Emphasis on legal and prophetic texts. The Jewish canon primarily focuses on legal texts, Torah, and prophetic writings, Nevi'im. I'm sure I'm getting that wrong. Enoch's story, although spiritually significant, does not fit the same mold as these central categories. No ad lib, just reading. Point three, later development of Jewish canon. The canonization of Jewish text was gradually a gradual process that took place over many centuries. The inclusion of certain texts and exclusion of others were influenced by various factors, including theological considerations, community acceptance, and the perceived authority of the text. In contrast, it says the Book of Enoch gave more significance and prominence among the early Christian communities and traditions uh, than it ever would have had back in the time of the, uh, the Jewish people in the Torah. That's the answer. So... I'm happy to bring you back up if you're still around. But say, goodness. Yeah, I can if a mod's like, If a mod's like, hey, mod's been quiet 20 minutes and no one's got oh, an Nate. answer, the mod's going to talk a little bit. Nate. Okay. Nate, I'm, you have never been quiet for 20 minutes. I'm sorry. I didn't know that that was the question. So I thought it was just about Job. Was he real? Mm. So I, I apologize yeah. for not giving us That's what I heard okay. about Job being okay. real. No. Okay. That's not the question. Let me be very clear on what the question was. So I was asking the book of Job and all are you saying everything in the book is historical, not the human's existence, but the argument between God and the angels, the, the responses of God to Job, those words spoken, are those historically accurate? Now, that was the question. The fact of Job being a human is Distantly connected to was the, did God and Satan have a discussion in heaven? Because how, who no. knows what they did? Answer is so, no. Wait. I, I would I would say that Ezekiel and James validate that the narrative of Job is correct. Okay. Wait. 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 I, I'm I'm trying to follow and understand the question here. Um. Did you are you asking about the narrative and if it aligns with what we see in the rest of the canonical books? And and first of all, canons are developed by men. So we need to first understand that Christians will tell you the reason the book of Enoch is not in um, the Bible is because the quote Holy Spirit didn't put it in the Bible, meaning the Holy Spirit didn't inspire men to say, yes, let's check it off. But uh, I guess they're not very aware of the way the Jewish canon would have came along with regards to Ezekiel almost not being in the, the canon. And the reason for this is because the book of Ezekiel has drastically different things with regards to the temple and, and, and really, honestly, things that seem very drastically different than that of the Torah. So the, some of the offerings are different. The temple is laid out differently. Um, and so all of these things give rise to question as to whether he is truly a prophet, right? Because a prophet's not going to tell you to do something opposite of the Torah. Ultimately, they decided to go ahead and put it in the, in the Bible. Great. I'm glad. But nonetheless, I think this is the reason for why it seems like, oh gosh, Enoch is speaking of things that we don't understand. And it goes against what we know to be as the foundation for our Bible. Therefore, it's not in the Bible. Whether I agree or disagree is irrelevant, but that's kind of how they come about with putting things into the Bible. I thought Enoch did not meet the historical like requirements. They ha There were some historical inaccuracies in Enoch that didn't line up with uh, um, the understood archaeology at the time. You know what I mean? Like, Because it had to... Books of the Bible can't be historically inaccurate. They can't contradict each other. They must have 
some good reason to believe they were divinely inspired, all that good stuff. I thought Enoch had a historical accuracy problem. Well, it could be any of those reasons. And I mean, you know, just like the, maybe the, maybe everything checks out completely on some of these books. Like maybe everything was 100% accurate. They just couldn't verify the authorship to the level of scrutiny that they could all the others. So they could exclude a book just because of that. Even if like like uh, like Ezra's like, you know, in the Apocrypha, Ezra, Ezra's one like that book, if that was included, that would make like an incredible, compelling case for Christianity, because this was supposedly written in like Old Testament times. But <clears throat> It reads just like Revelation, like it reads like it was ver written very much with the knowledge of Christ after he like showed up and the message that Christianity understands now. So Ezra's would make an excellent case to have in the Bible, but, uh, you know, they couldn't like verify the authorship. And some people argue that it was written later than than what they claim. Which book? So, I mean, that's why that's not considered. Which first one? Canon. Uh, Ezra's. Ezra's. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, if that was in the Bible, that'd be amazing. It'd make an amazing case. But they can't verify that it was actually written when they say it was written. So, you know, you don't want to put false information in there. But yeah, I mean, Steph, Steph's right. Courtney's right. Like, everyone's right. Like, these are all the reasons, um, you know, as well as Google's right. Like, he's gone. I mean, you know, by the way, wait, who's gone? The person, oh. the person who's questioning. You know, I, not really. it was so hard. I, I couldn't figure it out. Like, he wanted a Jewish perspective, which I, I think kind of derailed everything. But I mean, it sounded like he's like, do you think every single thing in the book of Job is true? I mean, every Christian on stage is going to be like, yes. Like, I 100% think everything in the account of Job is 100% accurate and true. And then somehow we got off with like, well, people understand it this way and people understand it this way. Like, uh, the Christian pr perspective is we understand it this way. It is 100% true, 100% accurate. This story actually happened. It took place. Like, I think that's what he was looking for, but it was, like, so easy we did everything but say yes. I don't know if he I wanted to, agree with that, though. He wanted a fossil of us holding, like, this is Job right here. Fossil evidence. You know, these are Like, the here's the skull of Job. If I I'll be the first up, to girl? say that uh, I don't believe that the sons of God mentioned in the first two or three chapters are not talking about angels, and neither is Satan. Um... And they're not, they're not standing up there in heaven talking to God. <clears throat> I just don't Point of clarification. That. Are you still calling yourself a Christian or? He probably thinks it's the sons of, um, so you have sons of Adam, you have, and then the lineage splits off. This is very, very common for uh, Unitarians, especially those who are, and I know this is an offensive term to someone here, but I don't know any other way to explain it, but uh, believe that Jesus did not pre-exist or what is commonly associated with Sicinianism. Um, so it's, I, you can still be Christian and believe that. Whoa, she nailed you, Harold. She read you like a book. She already knows who I am. Courtney oh. uh, the prophet. Yeah, but I'm, no, no, definitely I'm, not, no. Me being a Unitarian, I mean, it doesn't really, it really doesn't matter in the context of Job. I'm just saying, I just don't believe that the sons of God mentioned in the book of Job and mentioned in the book of Genesis are not talking about angels. It's not. Yeah, I, I disagree with you, but I, um, I know that there are lots of people that be believe that. I mean, I have good friends that just don't buy the idea that angels... Um, had sexual relations with human women and, and, and created giants. So um, I'm very familiar with the argument. 
and it mostly comes from more of a Unitarian uh, who doesn't believe that Jesus preexisted. That's the only reason I mentioned all that. But And I said that only to say that you can still be Christian and hold to that belief, um, because I, I think people don't think that you can. It's almost, that's weird to me, but yeah. Well, well not the I mean, the fact of the matter is the Unitarians that I hang out with, um, at least three of them believe that that's speaking about angels. So again, I don't, this is this is my issue with people like to do that. Y'all like to say, oh, because you're a Unitarian, you don't believe blah, blah, blah. Like what the what 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 relevance does that serve? If I'm able to read something in a context, it has nothing to do with a dogma or a position that I'm trying to hold. It's just simply of upholding the integrity of the text based off of my my observation. So no, no, I agree. With you. I was just I was actually defending you. Um, I was only saying you see it more prominent within those who call themselves Unitarians. It's not a big deal. Well, yeah, I mean, there would be a time where that what you say is accurate and inaccurate, Harold. <clears throat> I mean, if someone says you're a Unitarian, so you don't believe this, if it's relevant to the conversation, it's relevant. If they say, well, you're a Unitarian, you don't believe this, and it's not relevant to the conversation, well, then it's not relevant. So, I mean, you know, it's not absolute. The point is relevancy. I would just make a comment um, about that. If If these are not the sons of God within the text, that means they're human beings which means other human beings went to God and said, look, Job's a bad, not, he, he just only worships you because of this. So then it's a human being going and doing that. It's not an angel. Now, does that mean other human beings can pray to God or seek God's counsel to have something inflicted upon you? Is that possible? Is that where you want to go? Uh, I don't, I don't really know what you're saying, but the, the, there's no, like when they when they're presenting themselves before the Lord, people have to understand what that's speaking of. Presenting yourself before the Lord um, in that context could simply be that you're standing before a judge, you're standing before a duke, a king, uh, a, a council. Doesn't necessarily that doesn't necessarily necessitate um, you're standing there in heaven before God. Like for example when they present themselves before the priest, you're standing before the Lord in figure, but you're not literally standing before God. Um, just like in the book of Joshua, uh, Joshua called all of it, called all the, the elders of Israel to present themselves before the Lord. But who were they actually standing in front of? They were actually standing there in front of Joshua in the ark. But that doesn't mean that they were standing in heaven. So you got to understand different things pertaining to that time period. Just like in the book of Acts, uh, the Bible says that that uh, Cornelius was in the presence of God, but he was standing there before Peter. That doesn't mean that Cornelius was up there in heaven. But that becomes problematic because for the same reason that Rag is saying is that at the end of the whole conversation, the presence of the Lord being a judge, whatever you call it, is sending this person to go torment Job. Is this a real person? Is this a spirit? What is who is being sent to Job? Well, nobody was sent to Job. In fact, the text actually shows that uh, uh, there oh. were things happening to there were things happening to Job's children as a result of their sin. If you start from the beginning of chapter one, you'll see that Job is actually offering up sacrifices on the behalf of his children. 
because they were revilers and drunkards. And essentially, he's consistently offering up sacrifices. And it gets to a point to where God's like, you know what? It's like he stops all the sacrifices because the first thing that starts to get killed off is the animals and everything that he's using to offer up the sacrifices. You'd have to start from the first verse all the way to the end of the chapter to really even understand what I'm what I'm actually trying to convey. But well, I mean, I get what you're. Well, sorry, I, I, I say I get what you're saying and I get your argument, but that's you're actually trying to prove my point, though. You, you've got one of two options or three options, I guess, on the table. If this is an allegory which means it's not really none of that at first few chapters ever happened. And it's just a way of conveying some kind of idea or you've got human agents. These sons of God are human agents standing, whether in the temple, some maybe an altar, who knows what, uh, beseeching God because of Job, or you've got these heavenly beings and this is happening in heaven. Those are the three options. Which option do you hold to? Uh, I mean, it would be more of the, the, the quote-unquote agents thing. Like, I guess you said, uh, what did you say, heavenly agents? Is that what you said? No, the angels. Heavenly beings or angels, whatever you, whatever you want to. No, we, what was that second option? I think you, you there was something you human said. Human agents. The human agents. Yeah, human. That's what it was. Yeah, human agents. I would say it was more so human beings because the title son of God or sons of God is typically applied to humans. Adam it's a problematic, Harold, because when you, when, the very text, verse twelve, where it says, "Where it says everything and everything he has is in your power." Whose power? Guys, can someone explain to me real quick what, like, what's the hang-up on the sons of God? Like, what? Um, I mean, I hear what you're saying, but like, if someone asks this about the story of Job, it's between like you know Job, God, and Satan. So then by the time we, you know, we bring that verse that says the sons of God and Satan went with them, Satan's the point. So whenever we're talking about the sons of God, like what's the relevance? Like what, uh, what direction of the story makes someone really care about that? I, I'm honestly, I'm honestly confused because it seems like God, Satan, and Job are the ultimate point of the story. The idea of duality that that's for certain people that is um, antithetical to what they feel the Bible teaches. Duality is essentially that God has not partners, but um, that there is a divine council that surrounds God that is uh, antithetical to what God's wishes are, or this is what the Christian idea of Satan is. And I would submit that the Jewish idea in some, in some views, not all, um, but that this person or these uh, council of people or these demons or whatever you want to call them battle against God. Whereas the Jewish idea is that they do what God asked them to do. And, and I think that is true, but it really plays down to where does that line, those two lines, those two thoughts collide together and mesh together to where these angels have their own will to a degree. And so if you believe that the angels have their own will, then you can believe that they fell, rebelled against God, fell into heaven and then mated with humans and then produced offspring that then God had to essentially flood the earth for. And so the idea is that means someone in the higher realm is battling against God. And we don't believe that. That's, that's really the argument. That's why it's, so like, it's really like a, so it's, so for the purposes of the book of Job, it's like a side quest to get to like a, a bigger theology. That's not just like, 
the story of Job. Because, like, you get the story of Job, whether or not you think, you know, Hasatan is really, like, a good guy that's just, like, following God's orders, and he's just a good old tempter. Um, it gets to the motive, right? Instead of just, like, hey, here's matter of fact what God and Satan and Job, how, how their story interacted, and you don't have to get into motives and reason and whose side who is on. You're just like, this is what happened. Here's the story. So you're saying by the time you get to the sons of men and, you know, was Satan really a good guy? Kind of like kind of like people will say Judas. He wasn't really a bad guy. He was just, you know, following orders. He was a good guy. Um, and it gets into like motives, which is like deeper than just the prima facie story of Job. Who are you saying is the author of, of Job? Uh, there's a someone pointed out earlier. There's like a 10 way discussion. Okay, so there's no, there's no like clear Christian theology of who the author is. No, no in fact, in fact, um, I mean, you'll ask a Christian, they'll say Job, but like, that you know, the, really track. yeah, like the the literary and the language in and of itself is is weird. It's different. It's uh, scholars say it's very difficult and opposite to that of the the rest of the Tanakh, and so they think that's why they think it's the oldest book. Um, yeah, so I guess it depends on who you ask. Okay, well, doesn't Job doesn't try because he doesn't seem to be a prophet or even aware of what's going on around him. Um, but yeah, what you said before, Courtney, is definitely accurate. Um, the Jewish perspective of Satan is that he's more like a coach trying to get you to like give you a good challenge so you should eventually succeed. It means like Satan's biggest wish is to be defeated, but not a fallen angel who has any power against God. I was just going to make a comment about the, if you uh, kind of dismiss the sons of God demonic, you know, whatever this is up there, this angelic court, you're kind of going against even the culture of the day. Because if you read Joseph, Josephus about the Genesis 6 passage, that they think that these were sons of God uh, or these divine, these divine entities, even the book of Enoch, which is also potentially penned before the first century, at least I'm not saying it's canon, but at least gives you this idea that they they also within that whole Jewish culture of the time thought that these these sons of God would have been some kind of divine being. So to say that anything other than that would even go against the cultural norm of the day. Well, I'm not saying they weren't divine, but uh, I, I had to take a phone call, so I don't know where the conversation necessarily went at. But uh, all, all, all I'm gonna say is. Uh, is like I said, if you if you start from verse one of chapter one of Job, you can understand that just because they're called sons of God doesn't necessitate that they are um, that they are angels. It just doesn't. So can and you point me a direction to what they are? Like, what are they? Uh, yeah, they're actually uh, king. Like I said before, they're kings. They're dukes. They are. Um, Princes, so, so the life, rulers, so, great rulers at the time. So the life of Job was in the in the hand of a king. Uh, I'm, looking, actually, I'm looking at verse twelve. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that, but but since you asked that, it is there's definitely a possibility. So let me uh so let me point you at point you to a certain what I'm what I'm what I'm going to right. So it says, uh, verse one it says, "There was a man in the land of Oz." I understand that part. I'm, 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 I'm fast tracking to verse twelve. Yeah, but before you get to verse twelve, you, you can't just jump straight to verse twelve if you don't cover the first three verses. But so that we uh, assume that we're, we're, because that's where the that's where the context starts at. It's the narrative I, I, starts in the I, first. I understand three verses. that, but 
let's say you and I agree that the, the sons of God are X, whatever that is, you tell me what it is. Whatever X is, you have to you have to explain to me who the person in verse 12 is based on what you tell me of what that, you know, what the sons of God are. So if you're saying the sons of God are dukes and kings, then who is who is the person in verse 12? Like reading it over won't change anything. Yeah, yeah, still telling I, me... I mean, well, yeah, I, I mean, I, I want you and Mount to talk, but I mean, there, there's really no escaping it. You say read the first three verses. The first verse is all that's important for your argument, but let's read three. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Verse two, uh, which doesn't matter, but you said verse three. But said verse three, so okay. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed seven thousand sheep, three thousand camels, five hundred yoke of oxen, five hundred female donkeys, and very many servants. So that this man was the greatest of all his people in the east. His sons used to go and hold a feast. Oh, that's in verse four. Okay, so you said the first three verses. The only part that's relevant is there is a man in the land of Uz whose name is Job, and he was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Um, no, and by the time we get. All three verses matter, Nate. I wouldn't say all three matter if it all three didn't if I didn't think all three matter. Regardless, but, I read all three verses and part of four because I didn't stop myself. Okay, okay. And, and okay, and, and then verse okay. But your whole point was you said about the these people, you said you wouldn't necessarily consider them however you said it, uh, angels or not angels. You wouldn't say that. But then Malik specifically asked you, well then if you're saying they're princes and rulers, which you did say. How do they put them in the hand? And you're like, well, I wouldn't really say that. So, I mean, I guess I'm trying to hold you to task. Well, I went, I was going to Malik's verse. Um, I, I listen, I already know that everyone already has animosity towards me because of my view, certain views that I have, but I don't mind having cordial conversations. Um, you know, but the as far as verse 12, yeah, so. Verse 12, it says, and the Lord said unto Satan. So the way I would, I personally would view that is an adversary, right? Doesn't necessitate uh, some sort of angelic being. Now it says, behold, all that he has is in your power only upon himself. Uh, put not forth your hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. So now the important thing to understand where I would where I would kind of draw people's attentions to is how does all the bad things start happening to Job? So for example, uh it starts out by saying uh in the next couple of verse actually verse 14 it says and there came a messenger unto Job and said the oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them and the Sebians attacked and took them they also killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. So this adversary is given jurisdiction uh, for whatever reason to bring upon this evil, bring this evil upon Job's house. And there's an army of Stebians coming to attack Job's livestock. There's not an angel coming to attack there's an army that was sent to bring this evil upon him um and then it says uh while he was still speaking another came and said uh the fire of god the fire of god is fallen from heaven and has burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them and i am 
and I only am escaped alone to tell you. Um, did the kings do that? Yeah, well, I would I would say again, yeah, because this fire from heaven, I mean, people would automatically read that and say, oh, well, the fire from heaven necessitates this fire or lightning coming from the sky. That's how I would, that's how I generally, that's how I would that as well. I would assume that it's lightning coming from the sky, but another person could say, well, this fire, this so-called fire from heaven could simply be, um, I don't want to use the word metaphor, maybe like a, um, maybe more like an idiom to say that they're burning up, you know, they're bringing, they're burning up uh, the sheep and whatnot. Like they were given authority from another um, okay. higher authority to burn up the livestock, and then another army comes against Job's Job's family again. So, it, so it's, there's there's not necessarily human beings that's wreaking all this havoc. You have armies bringing forth this evil against Job. It's not any angelic beings doing this. Well, presumably, arm, armies would be human beings, and that's to also say, say, like, these human mortals control the power of the sky and, and lightning, unless you're going to say, well, they shot arrows, which is exactly the same thing as fire from heaven fell. Um, but then when we get to leprosy, you know, like how Job broke out in, like, boils and leprosy and all that other stuff, like, do these princely rulers, do they shoot them with, like, leprosy darts? Um, we we yeah, just disagree. We, we've talked about – yeah, Malik, go ahead and say the last one. We've talked about Job way too long. They control the wind as well, and the house falls on the – on, on um, all four quarters of the house fall. Yeah, we, we just are going to keep disagreeing about this. So anyways, um, we've talked to Job a lot, and there are people who have patiently been waiting. All right, people who have been patiently oh, waiting. Oh, Harold Job. What? No, I so said we've talked about the book of Job a lot. Oh, okay, sorry. Be like, before Harold was even up here, we've been talking about this for like an hour. Um, be before you move away, though, can I make a uh, just a quick yeah. comment? One of the, my favorite verses in Job, sorry, and this you can end with this if you want. But I like what Job says when he repents. He says, before I'd only heard of you, but now I have seen you. And I think that's kind of profound if you stop to think about it. It's almost like God, this experience that Job went through took him to a different level and a new understanding of who God is. And I think that's something to kind of maybe end on a good note. Uh, study, what's up, study? I don't think you've said a word. Hey, what's going on, brother? I, I, I just came up briefly because I heard them saying that uh, these were human beings and, and this was the Jewish thought. Well, when you look at uh, the JPS for Psalms 82, you see that these are divine beings in the JPS. Rashi says that they're angels. Ibn Ezra, most of the rabbis say that they're angels. And then when we see in the New Testament... We see uh, Jesus uh, running up on the demons and, and, and one of them called Legion, right? Um, so we know that these are angelic beings that are going around tempting and doing these things. And I was pulling up uh, the Targum on Job to see what that said in the rabbinic commentary. But there's a new thought, right, that comes about as uh, Christians are explaining their theology where they're trying to depart from that theology and they're trying to create a new narrative. So uh, some people can be knowledgeable about Judaism, um, but if they're basically uh, given to trying to suck up to them, they won't bust them on 
what their um, what their actual Dyson thought is. So I'm gonna put what the, are you talking about, Study? I'm, I'm, I'm going to put the JPS and all of the commentaries that I have uh, in the chat just so Study. that when people come and they say things, um, we can prove all things instead of taking their word for it. Because all right, so now say names. Who are you talking about? Because like I don't people, think well, you were, people in general. I, yeah, I don't think you were here for the whole conversation. Um, yeah, I'm, you know, if I'm being honest, I'm talking about you. Yeah, well, then you're not, you're not, you didn't, you didn't hear the whole thing, and the replays are on. I specifically, and even Mayor came up here and affirmed what I said. So, see, Scott, you need to listen twice as much as you speak, brother. You automatically, because I know more Judaism than you, you automatically come up here thinking I'm over here sucking on Rabbi's toes, and you know that ain't even the truth. I directly said there are some people in Judaism who believe in a more dualistic view. I directly said that. And, and I then didn't I affirm that, are... to be clear. I affirmed Thank the other you. part. Thank you. That's not true. There's no dualism in Judaism. But when you said about Satan, that was true. And then with that being said, I said there are people who don't believe it. So I, I, I tend to be honest and try and give as many views as possible. So. What I just heard 15 minutes, or not 15 minutes ago, about 10 minutes ago, was false, right? And, and the majority of rabbis... What did say? Okay, okay. Uh, that that uh, the Jews see the mighty ones as like uh, human beings and... That and, is not uh, what I said. Harold said that. Study. I'm. I hate to be um, Courtney's defense, but what she said was that the Jews. Well, she did throw in some binatarian in there, but let's take that part out. She said that the Jews don't accept Satan as an adversarial force against God. He's doing God's will. Or it is doing God's will. And I added in, it's like your coach trying to get you to trip up because then when you win, you're even stronger. So it's Satan's like job is basically to lose in a funny way. That, 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 that's all That's all I heard her say. That, that, that kind of goes against uh, Psalm 82, okay. where, where the so, angels are being judged. Sorry about that, Nathan. Right, he's saying the Jewish theology. Psalm 82 and Psalm 89 and De Deuteronomy 32 are the sons of God. Study, where do you think you learned that from? Me, bro. I was actually going to ask that because, yeah, someone, maybe you put that in chat. But anyway, real fast, yeah, I, I, the question of the day is going to go to Steph in just a second. But I, I forgot, uh, good adult, I accidentally skipped over you. You wanted to be added. Uh, yes, I did have a question uh, when, you had a, when you had a moment. Yes, we have a moment. <laughs> uh, my question was based off of uh, two scriptures in uh, St. John that I was hoping that uh, perhaps you could give your understanding, or as you guys say, uh, exegete. Um, it's... Uh, St. John 14 and 26, uh, uh, in connection with St. John 15 and 26. Um, St. John 14 and 26 tells us, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Uh, and then there in St. John 15 and 26, uh, just a chapter over, it states, But when the Comforter is come, whom whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of the truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. Uh, and so one verse obviously clearly says, um, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you. Uh, and then, of course, in the uh, following verse that I just read, it's, it clearly tells us, whom I, this is Jesus, whom I will send unto you from the Father. My question is, who is sending the Holy Spirit? 
without exegeting this, I have a pithy thing. Um, it's the same because Jesus and the Father are one. If you've seen him, you've seen the Father. Uh, Mount, do you have a more holy answer? That's the first thing that just came to my mind. I had to say it. Both? Yes, both of them are sending them. The, you know, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are a trinity, right? So you have the Father and the Son sending the Holy Spirit. And this should be a display of Jesus's uh, deity uh, because he's able to uh, send the Holy Spirit with the Father. So just like Brother Nate said, I and the Father are one. They are one, and they are both sending the Holy Spirit. Um, yeah, you want to respond good at all? So they, the, I should understand these two verses to, under, to be stated that both are, two are sending the one. Yes. I, 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 mm -hmm. All right, friend. Yep. Like, is there, is there a difficult part of that or? Well, I mean, if you just read it, I mean, I, I get how, I, I get his point, like how it could sound like, you know, one is saying one thing and the other is saying the other thing. Appreciate, but I mean, appreciate you know, you, that, Nate. I appreciate you understanding the common sense of my question. Thank you for that, but, man. Appreciate that. But, and then, you know, to, to the point we're making, like, you know, if you, if you, depending on your bent of theology, you know, if you believe in the Trinity and, you know, the other stuff Jesus says, I don't know how close it is where he said, he talks about the whole thing. Like, if you see me, you've seen the father, I and the father are one. Like, is it around either of those parts? But it, it, it regardless is, of where it is. Uh, okay. So, I mean, I would say like with a little bit of, you know, kind of Christian understanding, depending on which, like a Trinitarian triune being understanding, it doesn't give any of us problems. Like there are some who would have their own interpretation that we would just disagree with. But, you know, from, from our understanding of that, um, yeah, that, that's our answer. And that's why it doesn't give us any problems. It's basically a different way of saying the same thing. Yeah. And, and, and Brother Nate, there's another instance, right, with Jesus' resurrection. He says that he will raise himself. And we see that the Holy Spirit raises him and, and the Father raises him in Acts. So we see that, you know, uh, the triune God always uh, working in concert. So this is not uh, something that's unique. Right. When uh, the father or uh, when Jesus says that the father is going to send the Holy Spirit and then that he's going to send the Holy Spirit, because just like you said, they are one and they do everything in concert. You know, I appreciate that to that point. I think it's like another divinity, claim, another like divinity claim of Jesus, uh, you know, because like Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you believe God raised Jesus from the dead and people are like, what? See, it doesn't say Jesus is God, it doesn't say Jesus is God. But then just what you pointed out. He says, look, I, I, no one takes my life. I lay it down and I have the power to take it up again. So it's like, well, in one spot, it says God. In another spot, Jesus says him. In another spot, so it's like whenever you, whenever you read the totality of the scripture, a lot of these questions disappear. And I believe it really points your theology to the triune nature of God. And I know there are people that don't believe that, but it honestly perplexes me as to why. Um, and, and, you know, I, whatever. Um, but I mean, I think that, right? Because who has the power to raise someone from the dead? besides jesus and then that you know someone would counter that and say oh well, look elijah or paul or elisha i'm like okay they're not doing that of their own power like jesus himself has the power to do this to raise himself to life um not saying like you know elijah is blessed you know by the power of god and it's still the power of god that he's able to do anything um jesus himself is saying i have this power i will raise myself or you know i have the power to take it up again uh, you know not that it's been granted to me by god to have the power to take it up again i am god uh, anyway uh, so, Steph, am I reading chat right? And this is probably why I don't read chat. 
Um, Walter is mad because he couldn't get in and he didn't know who blocked him. We finally found out Haiti blocked him uh, because he, she says he always attacks him. Then he um, talks about how she says it's okay to encourage kids to masturbate. And then you say you're also going to tell your kids that too. And now you are apparently not a true Christian because you are pro-masturbation. Have I about summed that up? And Uh, I'm not going to read chat for a good long while now. Yeah, I I wouldn't word it like that. I wouldn't say I'm pro anything of the sort. Uh, But Haiti was being attacked for saying that she had told her son that it is natural. Oh, yeah. I didn't say that. I said um, Christians, some Christians, um, particularly Catholics, give their children a lot of shame about masturbation, telling them, you know, they'll go to hell. When I said it's it's a natural function of the body. That's what I said. Then Walter started laying into how I parent my kids. That's why I blocked him. Okay. And then I, I okay. And then from there I was trying to focus on the Steph's in hot water now. <laughs> I yes. So well, why are you in hot water, Steph? Oh, I guess so, just with Walter, because Walter says that it's unchristian to tell your children that body functions are natural, and I disagreed with that. So I guess that's what happened there. All right. Well, Walter raised his hand. So, I mean, you know, we talked about Job for like an hour and 20 minutes. So why not talk about this? Attacking the church, talking about how people do this and that, talking about how we shouldn't say things to our our kids. And maybe, you know, you know, I say, so do you go around telling your kids it's okay to do this or okay to do that? And then she feels it's all she got all hurt. Because I said, would you tell tell that to your parents? Wait, wait. God forbid you talk to Haiti. God forbid. I is that your normal voice? I was gonna say I brought you here for you and Steph to talk, uh, not for you and Haiti. Cause, no, because cause Steph is show. defending Haiti. Why is she defending Haiti? She doesn't know what went on. She just all of us assumes that I'm the bad one. Uh, no, that's you projecting. Uh, what I said I'm in the projecting. chat. What did you say in the chat? Come on. I said that I would tell my children that it was natural. Also, no, no, before and then that, Steph. you went into. Of course, Before. you would defend After someone who hates me. God. After she accused me, what did you say, Steph? Stop lying. Wait, what? I missed the last two seconds of what she said. All right, gotta go. You guys have a good day. Bye, Courtney. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Take me with you. She said something about me, and you jumped in. Oh, how could you do that? You don't know why the conversation happened. You don't know why I said that in another wait, chat wait, wait. room what three did days I say? ago. What did I say? She always... What did you, I say? You, you assumed that I was really insulting her parenting when I was just giving her a shot. Let's see. It was called sarcasm. What is she's going around Why are we talking about us. people's kids she's, anyway? She's, 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 exactly. Know. That was my she's, point. She's both going me around. and Charles. I have no idea. Both me and Charles it's, it's were like, like... She knows she's going to turn around. She's going to be playing the game. Why are we making personal attacks on people's parenting? Right. If it's, that was I my... Mean, exactly. Okay, regardless. well... <laughs> I thought it was going to be a, you know, witch burning of stuff. So, so, so you you're know, saying my bad. Haiti, Haiti, by bringing up parenting of Christians, wasn't. No, no, no. Sorry. I'm, I'm Ugh, moving okay. along from that you know, because that's not a conversation that we're able to have. Malik, what's up, Malik? I'd like to make use of your. A long time ago, a wise man told me a long time ago. It does, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how you treat me, it matters how I treat you. So, just because somebody is doing wrong, does not mean you should repay them with wrong. I mean, that's that's Sounds great. Uh, Malik, I'd like to make use of your time uh, because oh. 
now you're probably never going to come back. <laughs> but it's good to see you. How are you? I'm doing well. How about you? Have you just been really busy? Uh, somewhat busy uh, and uh, trying to stay away from contention. Oh, yeah? How's yeah, that going? How that? Oh, I thought I'm doing well. <laughs> It's not even it's not even six seven o'clock where I'm at. I'm already fighting with people. Uh, you you mean here or like in back channels or other chats? Um, other 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 rooms. I was I've been in another room talking to an atheist. Uh, or some people that are in here as well, and uh, it's a horrible argument. I got to like meet uh, Barth. Or horrible, I, like lame. And... So so I met Barth Barthology. Oh yeah. I, 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 I love how everybody just starts chuckling when you say that. I'm so sad I missed this. Wait, I have okay, never met him. Story. Bro, this was epic. This was yeah, I was this morning. Oh, you, you, he jumped off mic and was like, "Can you explain to me why, uh something something about why the person feels the need to be homosexual and how evolution oh i saw that room yeah malik so that what what you were attacked for i mean you weren't pro-gay no, no. so why were you attacked? No, no i didn't ask him because he said he was catholic i go okay so explain to me about you know i want to know how how is he catholic and you know f-bomb here f-bomb there oh, you know oh. people taking it up the rear all you know all kinds of things like, that's not catholic <laughs> but, but and then you know we yeah, went over softly I don't think he believed any of that. He is not he's not even Christian by any definition. In the most generous sense, he's not Christian. Hey, I got a bone hey, to pick with Chris Raw. Wait, wait, before that, because I'm excited for that. Uh what happened with you and Barth? I, I just asked him about his about why, you know, how is he Catholic? And then I just quote, I just said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I just set him off. The hilarious the really? bit is that, like, I was in a room with Barthology, I don't know, a couple of days ago, and he was trying to he was trying to tell somebody else about Catholic doctrine and getting it completely wrong. And I'm like, dude, have you ever actually read any books by any Catholics? Have you read the CCC? And he's like, no. And he's like, well, you're just being obstinate. I'm like, okay, like, why don't you tell? The, I mean, it was unbelievable. So we did find out how he's Catholic. I guess he got court ordered or mandated to go to some Catholic, <laughs> you know, put some hours, and that's how it came out to be Catholic. Did we find out why that was so ordered? <clears throat> we did. Uh, I guess um, he he took stuff that didn't belong to him, uh, and he was court mandated to do that after coming out of jail. I'm not trying to, you know, he said it publicly, so I'm not exposing anything he hasn't said. I think I heard that. Eh, well, no one's perfect. Yeah. Huh. Well, fun stuff. I also met Jason and uh, another guy. Let me see what's his name. Remember what the room? other guy's name, Chris? What room was this? And now the replays. It's where it's it's the room where um, Gavin was debating and uh, someone about is homosexuality homosexually natural. Oh, and this is just today. That's today. So you got to, if you want to hear the nonsense, it's after the debate. Thank you. Um, and it's, and it's literally like seven, eight minutes of just straight f bombs. Yeah, that's how far it rolls. Goodness, it was, that's how Steph it was crazy. Rolls too, but it's just she's on his be her best <laughs> behavior right now. Only when I'm on mute. <laughs> hey, you should hear her in our room. It's like she's a sailor. I'm telling you. What? 
No. <laughs> oh man. What what was it? Slum Lordus Sailor. <laughs> anyway, I want long, to hear long, what Harold is mad at Chris about. All right, Harold. Yeah. Popcorn. Oh oh, it won't be a long movie at all. No, nah, man. I I've been I've been trying to back chat Chris about some information on the resurrection and the historicity, and he still ain't sent me nothing. Oh, hmm, put the popcorn away. Uh, I, I, I can. Sorry, I just forgot. Everybody forgets about Harold. So good. It's not like you, I'm popular or anything, because I'm definitely not. But I do get a lot of back channels. You remember that? You remember that day a while back? It was probably last year. You were like breaking down the resurrection with somebody, and like it was like the historicity and something about the Roman soldiers and how they would have gotten killed if they had just let Jesus escape and the disciples get into the tomb and what, like, you remember that long discussion you were just kind of going through that whole thing? Yep. Yeah, it was with uh, Corletta. Yeah. Where did you get all that information from? Was it a book or an article or an essay or what? It was probably a good five books. So, um couple of really good ones are uh, Josh McDowell, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Um, another one is going to be um, Josh McDowell, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Okay. Yep. And another one is going to be Who Moved the Stone? So if you want to, if you really want to get into the resurrection with somebody, you just have to ask the question, okay, who moved the stone and go from there. So you've got a bunch of different possibilities. So then you just narrow the possibilities. Okay. Who moved the stone? Maybe the stone tripped on a rock. Could have been. All right. Okay. Anything else? Um, Cold case Christianity is another pretty good one. Um, That's more recent. Okay. And so this is coming from the evidentialist apologetic. So it wouldn't be like presuppositional and it wouldn't be, um, what's the other one? Uh, I forgot. Uh, classical. Classical would be like Thomas Aquinas, you know, arguing for the existence of God from philosophy. Mm. And also Chris Claw, I think it was Chris Claus sent me a, a dope article too. Um, from his Google Drive, he sent me something. Uh, it's like a hundred and something pages. I was like, "Bad dog, man! I don't like." It's fine. I'll read it anyway. I like to read, but I do have a question. Thank you, Chris. I do have a question, and I'm gonna buy these books, by the way. But this, I have. There should be like five dollar paperback versions of most of those books. Oh, perfect! What's your? And question? you can get them on Amazon. Oh, yeah. Okay, perfect. So my question is, maybe it's two questions. Is there any historical evidence for things such as the the 40 years in the wilderness uh, or the 430 years that the Israelites spent in Egypt any evidence for maybe Joseph being ruler over Pharaoh's house or Potiphar's house uh, or 
historical evidence for Abraham, the battle of the five kings in Genesis 14. Um, and then the second question is, if there's not, why do we have more evidence for the historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus than we do of any of those events? That's my question. So there, there are two different things, right? So the, the gospel accounts are purported in the gospels themselves to be eyewitness accounts in the times of other eyewitnesses. Now, modern scholars are going to bag on that. They're going to be like, no, the gospels were written like 100 years after Jesus, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, that's just that's just that kind of cope. Um, but Genesis is going to be a different story, right? So these are oral traditions passed down um, through the Jews uh, to Mo, who I believe Moses. There's, there's, again, controversy as to whether or not Moses wrote the Torah. Um, I believe that Moses wrote the Torah. Um, some people do not. Uh, and you know, it's, it's one of those things. Would I expect to find archeological evidence of a lot of stuff that's just like happening in the desert? I, I mean, maybe, maybe not, you know, it doesn't seem, does it seem reasonable to me that, you know, 4,000 years of, you know, erosion and desert would erase a lot of the archeological evidence we would come to expect, um, from 1.2 million people wandering through the desert seems reasonable to me to think that. So are there independent archeological accounts of the Exodus? No. Um, another, again, another reasonable explanation is dementio memoriae, right? So this is the damnation of memory. This is something that the, uh, Pharaohs did quite often in Egypt where they would erase any trace of certain rulers or certain people that, that had fallen out of favor with the current court. Could it be a case where whoever the Pharaoh was that had let the Israelites go and had the 10 plagues of Egypt and all that stuff, could it have been erased from Egyptian history? Maybe. Is it plausible? Sure. Do we have evidence that that happened? No. Um, so when we're dealing with things that long ago, there's going to be differences with ancient Near East scholars as to what is plausible, what is not plausible. Um, there's even, you know, there are going to be rabbis who don't even believe that Moses was a real person, that he was an archetype. I mean, you know, so that being said, you know, the, there's going to be, oh, and Dr. Josh is here and Dr. Josh can speak to this better than I can. You know, we don't have current archeological evidence for the Exodus or anything like that. Or maybe, maybe Dr. Josh can, can, uh, you know, update me on that. Maybe there is some type of archaeological evidence, but we have very little to um, and to substantiate the the actual Exodus as told in Exodus. No, I, I think that was very well said. Um, the, there's a book, uh, a recent publication, and I just popped up to say this, um, called Five Views on the Exodus. It's an evangelical publication, um, but the See if I can remember the um, it's like a 2021 book, but uh, I know Hoffmeyer has a chapter on like a 13th century date. Um, Stripling has the like the 15th, like this sort of traditional 15th century date argument. Um, Rensburg has a chapter, uh, Ron Hendel has a chapter from like a liberal perspective. 
Um, but if you're looking for like a like a case for whatever historical reliability there might be or whatever evidence, like that's probably a pretty good place to go. That's a pretty user friendly, and of course they're you know re all reviewing one another as they go through it. Um, so it's and it's a I don't I don't remember it being terribly expensive either. So I just want to throw that out there. By the way, Dr. Josh, I'm reading your book on slavery right now. By the way, Chris is thinking about getting some. Oh, cool! Slaves. Oh, nice. not the not the second part, but the the first part. Try <laughs> to convert me, and he buys me steak. So, uh, Josh, do you uh, do you exchange correspondence with uh, Mr. Matt? Um, sorry, go ahead, Josh. Oh no, sorry. Uh, I went to um, a CARM website to shoot him an email, but it doesn't look like there's like an actual email address. It looks like it goes to a, like a general thing. So I figured I'd just talk to him next time. I saw him in a room or something. I, I, got a, I got something else for you, Chris. Is there any, is there any like, um, and maybe you already answered this in your in your first answer, but is there any evidence for like, for example, the Red Sea being split and Pharaoh's army being killed? I would think, I personally, I would think reasonably that there's some type of like documentation or what have you by the Egyptians to some extent that something like that happened. It's just that really weird because i'm not gonna lie man the splitting of the red sea is is a pretty pretty pivotal event you know imagine six million people walking through a body of water on practically concrete ground you know what i'm saying like that's pretty, sure. pretty i mean i i would answer it the same way like have they emptied out the red sea and done a thorough archaeological you know, dig there? No. Like, I mean, I don't think anybody's going to do that. Um, you know, again, I, is there physical evidence? No. I, I, I mean, not not reputable. I've seen some, like, pseudo, maybe Josh can talk to this, I've seen some pseudo evidence of, like, chariot wheels at the bottom of the Red Sea or some nonsense, but, like, I, I don't know. I don't think that's legit. I mean, is that is that, is that real, Josh, or is that as fake as I think? Yeah, it's uh, it's not reputable. Um, there are that in that book that I, sorry, I always feel like I just say, here's a book. Um, but there's the Exodus and the transdisciplinary approach, and there's a whole section in there, um, of uh, like scientific articles that are trying to look at like the Mount Farah eruption and. You know, could this have caused, you know, a, a type of, um, you know, natural event that would account for this plague or that plague or, you know, the, the water stopping up or whatever. So that's, you know, that's another area of investigation if if that's of interest to sort of come at it from that angle. Um, but yeah, that book tends to be pricey still, but, and I shouldn't say this out loud, but there may be PDFs floating around yeah. out there of that. Josh. Well, you know, like I mean, everybody, my, everybody gets my books for free on PDF. So I don't know. <laughs> I bought your two books on Amazon. You're a good man. You're a good man. 
Thank you. Yeah, somebody put a YouTube video out Are you going to donate time. the proceeds to a very good Christian charity? <laughs> yeah, his wife. Hey, ah. I'm not asking these questions because I'm like, doubting that they necessarily happen or anything like that. It's just, um, like, this is a part of my argumentation against uh, so-called to not only individuals. Because they say, well, you know, oh, why do y'all follow Jesus? How could Jesus be the Messiah? What a, what a, what a, what a, you know what I'm saying? And my thing is this, without Jesus, you practically have no Tanakh. And the reason why I believe that is because, number one, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a confirmation of everything that was written in the Tanakh, the law and the prophets and songs. That's my course of logic. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a confirmation that everything written within the law and the prophets is is 100% true, you know, what and what have you, that it was a true testimony given. Because even Peter, in his epistle, he says, well, in so many words, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we now know we have a true word of prophecy that was given from the beginning, you know, so that's my, and I, and I always say to them, it's fine. You don't have to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Well, obviously they do, but nevertheless, the thing is, it's like, okay, don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, but answer this question. Why do we have more compelling evidence historically? Um, and documentation for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that, well, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ than we do for anything that was written in your law and prophets, whether or not Moses existed, the 430 years in, in Egypt, the splitting of the Red Sea, any of that stuff, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, but you have to take into account, like, the Exodus is not written as a straight history. It's not saying, I'm not saying that, it, that they aren't historical events. I believe they are. But the Gospels are written as a biographical historical account. The Exodus is not. You know, like the, the Torah is written as a series of stories detailing the lives of the patriarchs and where Israel comes from and their history and culture. Uh, and then the laying out of the Mosaic Law. So the purpose of the Torah was not really to tell a history. It's more to give a, an account of the cultural, you know, uh, the, the cultural uh, heritage of who Israel is and to give Israelites a history for that, not for, hey, here's this thing that happened and here's this thing that happened. I mean, there, it's true, it does lay out that way, but maybe, maybe Josh can give us a better idea of how that that genre is written or there's multiple genres within the torah as well yeah chris i'm just saying like do you understand my my mode of argument maybe it's a faulty argumentation against them but no i i, I, I get your mode I, I like i i get it and it makes sense and before you said that i was wondering like does harold does harold like not believe this stuff um so i was i was going to say something and you know in the interest of accuracy i'll say it anyways but yeah so i understand your motive i understand it and it's it's not bad uh, but what I was going to say um, earlier, I'll just say it now because, you know, transparency. Um, 
when Josh said uh, not reputable, um, we can talk about reputable, meaning like, is, do they know it's forged? Is it accepted in an academic you know, group of their peers? That reputable? Like, what do you mean by reputable? But not, quote, not reputable is also not wrong. And then if you want to go, you know, a little conspiracy-ish, even if there were, was uh, archaeological, historical, physical evidence of these biblical events, like, you know, what if someone that had an agenda uh, found some things and hid some things or removed some things? And there's no way to know. So, so like, and, and that's what someone would say, right? So I guess I'm giving your opponents of this ammunition, like, oh, they could have got away with it. They could have hit it. They could have, you know, destroyed it uh, because, you know, they want to promote their religion or their lack of religion. Um, so, I mean, ultimately, it's going to come down to a p position of faith at some point. So, so they're always going to be able to kind of weasel away from it and be like, oh, there totally was archaeological things, but, you know, they scuba dived and there was, there was like, you know, people who remove things in the middle of the night. So, I mean, even though it's lame, like there's always going to be a way to like wiggle away from that. But I agree with what you're saying about that, though. Josh, do you uh, want to comment on like multiple genres through the Torah? I can talk about oh, uh, yeah, I mean, sure. Like, I, I think so much of this, um, I mean, obviously it's like crazy, crazy complicated. Um, but I mean, so much of something like the Exodus is going to uh, depend on like one's approach to the text. Um, and, and like you were saying, like, I don't, I don't think it, you know, uh, I don't think Christian, no way, like Christianity or Judaism or anything, like rises and falls on, you know, like whether the Exodus happened precisely as, you know, as stated in Exodus or whether it's, you know, representing a theological presentation of some historical kernel or if it's, you know, presenting it as an origin story. Like, I don't, I don't think, me personally, I don't think one's faith has to rise and fall on that. But um, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's, it's, certainly it's it's one of the origin stories uh, of the nation of Israel. So, but yeah, I don't I don't know if I answered the question. Probably not. No, that was pretty good. Hey, just real quick, and Nate, I, I'm not going to turn this into 20 minutes of ask Josh, but hey, what's your what's your opinion on? Ha, yeah, Josh, what is your opinion on just anything? <laughs> He's like a really, well, he's like a really famous Assyriologist, and I'm like reading some stuff by him right now, and I'm reading some stuff about... Oh, no, you cut uh, out for me is why I said that. I thought It sounded like you said, what's your opinion uh, on, uh, and then you cut out. So it's like just everything, oh, okay, just life. Sorry. So I was saying A. Leo Oppenheim, um, I'm reading some of his stuff right now, and uh, and I'm also going through some of the John Walton stuff as well, and I, I didn't know what your opinion on Dr. Walton was and um, on Leo Oppenheim of the Assyriologist. Yeah, Oppenheim, you know, it's a little dated, but his book, um, Portrait of a Dead Civilization, is sort of like, you know, a, a standard, uh, like I had to, for my comprehensive exams, it was one of like the 14 books that I had to summarize. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's like, a again, it's a little dated, but I mean, he does a really, really good job of going through just overall Mesopotamian um uh, history, culture, you know, the different ways of thinking about things like Omena or mythology or whatever. Um, and I think Walton, like, I, I really appreciate Walton's work. Obviously, I don't agree with, you know, ever, everything that he says. But I mean, like, I, people like Walton, Dick Averbeck, uh, Lawson Younger, um, even James Hoffmeyer, you know, like, I, I, I really appreciate scholars that take, you know, that, that ancient Near Eastern um, 
you know, culture seriously when they, when they incorporate it into the text. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. Mike Heiser as well. The late Mike Heiser, like I, again, didn't, didn't agree with everything that he said, but I mean, like a lot of stuff that he said, I was like, yeah, you know, it's, 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 it's really, I think it's a solid methodology. Uh, hey, Chris, what's up? Do you have anything to say before I have to leave? Chris Claus. Oh, no, I'm just in here listening, just driving this morning. God bless everyone. Well, yeah, I'm going to have to run, but if anyone wants to keep it going, feel free. This is where everyone leaves now. <laughs> no, okay. We, we can just harass Steph for the next, like, 35, 40 minutes. If Malak and Chris can help out, I can stay. There you go. Yeah, just last one standing, end it. Or don't, who cares? Turn it over to Hebrews or like, whatever. Let's see what happens. Perfect. I've got, so I've got, I'm visiting a client for about 20 minutes in about 20 minutes, so I'm going to have a gap, but I can It's the Chris gap theory. It's true. All right, who's got questions for these people? Come have every question about Jesus you've ever wanted to know answered with 100% proof. We have Chris, Steph, and Malik, and uh, they will do it for you. First timers, go to the front. First timers, <laughs> get the cut away to the front. Yeah, it's it's funny, um, Dr. Josh. I was talking to my wife this morning about like laymen and scholarship. But my wife has a master's degree. She went to DTS. Um, I do not have any kind of an advanced degree. Um, I was two classes short of my bachelor's. Um, but I am thinking, about, I, I do have an offer to go back to school for a, a real master's degree for a four-year master's, so I'm thinking about doing that. But, um, but uh, we were talking about, like, and I used you as an example. I was like, look, I'm not going to be able to have a conversation with Dr. Josh about primary sources because I don't read Hebrew, I don't read Sumerian. I don't read, you know, Phoenician, like all of these primary sources that you would have to know to be, have, be able to have an intelligent discussion with an A&E scholar. Like, I have to rely, if I'm going to disagree with Dr. Josh on something, which, you know, obviously, you know, coming from a theist, atheist point of view, we're going to disagree. But like, I'm going to have to rely on, a, on another scholar that would be able to have the conversation with you intelligently. And like, I don't think people understand these things. I think that people read some books that are primary scholarship written by scholars and they think that they are on that level because they've digested that work. And I just think that it's, I don't know. I, I don't know. You probably run into that all the time. I, I just, you know, it's like I can read a couple of Heiser books and a couple of, you know, Oppenheim's and, and your, your books, but I'm not going to be an A&E scholar. Like I don't have the ability to process the primary evidence. And the thing, like, I, as you were talking, I was like vigorously nodding my head because, like, I I agree. And like, we all we all do this, right? Like, I mean, gosh, even in the even in the field of Assyriology, it's so broad. I mean, like, we have half a million cuneiform documents that we have to wade through. So nobody, like, it's not the '40s anymore. Like, nobody can read it all, right? Um, people spend their careers like in the old Babylonian period in a particular genre. Um, and so like when, when, like if, if, if somebody were to say to me, Hey, you know, can, can you give a lecture on, 
like neo-assyrian royal inscriptions i mean sure <laughs> you know that's not really it's not really what i do but i i could like i could spend some time and go read them but it would take me some time it would take some effort um and i certainly wouldn't be anywhere near like karen radner's level right like i wouldn't be able to have a conversation i mean i would be able to ask her interesting questions that would be really what i would hope for without dedicating several years to that and really that's a i think that's a really great place that people can 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 get to is being able to know enough about a topic to ask interesting questions to people that like you know dedicate their lives to that and um yeah so two, two things and i swear i'll shut up um one that's awesome that your wife went to dts uh, a friend that went down there um stephen anderson the guy that wrote that multi-volume um dr anderson's guide to the bible i think is what it is um but like chris you would obviously have a tremendous head start uh on probably most people going into into graduate work so uh, that's really cool. I hope you can do it. So, Dr. Josh, just to sum up what you said, so you're saying that a TED Talk does not make me an expert. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it could, I guess, maybe. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, and that, that's the thing. Like, I, I always want to be careful about this sort of thing because obviously people, like people historically, can you can obviously become an expert in something without getting a formal degree. The thing is, like, statistically, I guess, I don't, I don't think that happens very often. And so, it, you know, David Falk, sorry, I'm rambling, but, like, David Falk, who, you know, he and I obviously don't see eye to eye on a lot of things, but, I mean, I think in a lot of things we do. And he's James Hoffmeyer's former student. He's an Egyptologist from Liverpool. Um, but he made the comment, like, he was talking about my book, actually, and he said, look, this thing is clearly published. He's, he published it himself, right, through Digital Hammurabi Press. This is not a peer-reviewed work, you know, formal formal peer review process. Like, do I even want to spend my time reading it? And I, I, I called him and I told him that was a fair question, right? That's a fair thing to say because it's a popular book, right? And I worked really hard in my research on it. Um, and I did have several scholars, subject matter experts in the field go through the relevant sections. But still... Like it's a, it, it's a popular level book. And what he was saying is I have to, I have a set amount of time in my life and I have to sort of discriminate in some ways, uh, you know, the books that I read because, you know, and one of the ways that I do it is generally speaking, if it's not peer reviewed work, I give it a, you know, like I, I give it a critical eye before I read it. So uh, I think that's fair. So anyway, sorry. Yeah, I think that, I think that what a formal education does, and again, coming from somebody without a formal education, but knowing a lot of people with one, is that it basically gives you the tools to be able to interact with the material. That's the purpose, right? It's like, now you have the tools to be able to interact with journal articles. You know how to lift them up. You know how to you know, cross-reference them. You know how to synthesize multiple sources of information into a single coherent opinion. That's the point. It's to, to train your mind to, to do and I think that to your point, I know he's on the phone. But I think to Josh's point is that most of us aren't trained to do that. And so I think that if we're going to engage in reading, you know, scholarship outside of our tradition.
Hey, Ape Man, what's up? I'm trying to listen, but uh, Chris here's dropping the ball. What's up, Ape Man? Three, two, one. How's it going? Good, good. What's on your mind? I'm sanding some stairs. And I was just, uh, yeah, I'm painting my basement stairs during this summer break time. Uh, I was just listening, really. Um, You know. All the, there's all those questions about, you know, stories and is there any evidence for those stories? I was just listening. You know, the Red Sea, is there any chariot wheels in there? Like, you know, it doesn't, and I think what Dr. Bowen said or, was that, uh, you know, none of these, these religions don't live or die on these things because people, they exist, right? The religions exist. People believe things that they believe and they live their lives in these ways. So, you know, I mean, uh, as far as I re- recall, there was a, uh, a Hebrew organization that did some archaeology that claims there is no archaeology that uh, <clears throat> um, you know, lines up with certain things in the, in the Old Testament. But are they no longer Hebrews? You know, do they no longer? I don't think so. I'm just kind of listening, you know, getting some ideas. Okay. Hearing some people's views, you know, no big whoop. Sure, sure. Well, Constantine, what question do you have for Chris? (laughs) For Chris? (laughs) He's on the phone right now, so he can't answer. I don't don't have a specific question, but it's interesting to just listen about, you know, ancient history. I just think, you know, there's just so much we don't know because – when studying, you know, whether, you know, Israel's history or ancient Near Eastern or Egyptian, you know, we have to rely on what we have and uh, what we have are, you know, uh, documents and evidence from a very small, um, you know, small uh, part of the society, right, the elite. And usually they have a point to uh, make, right, that's in opposition to maybe a you know, a more popular opinion, you know, that's commonplace, so they're trying to impose their view. So we, we don't really, it's hard to tell, like, what, what people actually believed in these societies, because we, we just, uh, I mean, you can you can dig up some, like, uh, you know, houses and uh, see, you know, what, what kind of, uh, you know, if they had any, you know, religious or political, I guess, uh, uh, artifacts in the houses, and based on that, you can kind of make some assumptions, but uh, that's pretty hard to do. So I just, I just think, you know, we just don't know so much. Uh, hey, Malak, are you there? I'm out. I'm outside. I don't know if I'm being heard good or not. I am here. Okay, can you hear me? Yeah. Uh, before we go, could you give your uh, give your quick thoughts? Because I I think a lot of times, like different people. Um... Oh, of course, my Jewish neighbor's pulling in right now. <laughs> thoughts on. <laughs> He's talking to his wife, and he just got one... Who, me? Yeah, you. No, give me a second to get back. Stuff is eating snacks. Like dog. Bathroom. Listen. Okay. Chris, no, what I was trying to. That I what grew. I was trying to say. I was gonna make a. I was gonna make a comment. Great, in rabbit poop. I was gonna make a comment about like the, the Jewish people that weigh in on here, right? As my neighbor who's very Jewish is pulling in. So I'm just thinking if my neighbor gets out of his car and I'm thinking and I'm saying something like, What do you think about the Jewish this or that you know, that one guy or whatever, and he just hears some kind of Jewish conversation talking when he has no idea of the context, I'm gonna end up on like a billboard or something. Anyway, so what I was going to ask Malak is 
since we, we do have a lot of people who are Jewish come in here, well, several of them, and, and will weigh in on, like, quote, the Jewish perspective. And I don't know. You want to you give a little crash course in that real fast? Because I think, like, you know, like earlier today, like, there was a Jewish opinion from, from Exeter or whatever, which I know my Orthodox Jewish friend would, would very, very much disagree with a lot of what he said. Um, so to hear, like, you know, a bunch of, like, when there's people that don't know this stuff, like there's atheists or there's Muslims or whatever, and they're like, well, what do you actually, th- what do the Jews actually think about this passage? And then you have a Jew, a, a Jew who is, you know, like a very liberal or, quote, conservative Jew, which is not really that conservative, um, give their opinion. And it sounds very, very opposed to, like, the conservative, traditional, biblical Christian view. Um, I guess you're going to have to make your own question. This is just what I'm, I'm thinking. But anyway, so it's like, would it be fair to say that, like, an Orthodox rabbi or Orthodox Jewish position would be the most closely related to the conservative, biblical, first century church type, you know, like, like hardcore, conservative, fundamental, evangelical, that type um, of Christian, and then like a conservative Jew, is Hasidic the same thing as like Orthodox? Because like my friend considers himself Orthodox, but doesn't have the little curly things and doesn't, I don't think, considers himself Hasidic. He just has a very conservative understanding of the Bible, just like we would as Christians. It's like, it's like saying like, like, Yeah, I mean, there's essentially the same thing. There's old same theology, but one is like more, like you know, stricter with the right? rules. Yeah, conservative. Yeah, and like how like how Uri or Abba is just like, oh, you know, it's a metaphor, it's an allegory. You do what you want with it. I'm like, wait, wait, no, no, no. I'm like, my Orthodox friend would like like be banging his head against the wall with that. No, no, that's not what he thinks. So it's like, I'm thinking like Orthodox Judaism would be more closely to like conservative Christianity, and like conservative Judaism would be more close to like very liberal, the- like liberal Christianity, like kind of just whatever, like open theism almost. And then like liberal Judaism would basically be like universalism as like a, a Christian counterpart. That was my yeah, question. I mean, like, like, yeah, like, well, yeah. Accurate. So the last time you kind of cut off a little. Oh, I just said, do you think that's accurate? Those comparisons. I mean, somewhat. I mean, so, yeah, because I mean, I mean, somewhat they're accurate, um, because within the within the conservatives, they're all conservative. But then you have like the ones who really hold to a lot of these things, or people that the liberal within the conservative, uh, and then you have like even within the reform, you have the ones who are trying to be a little conservative within the reform. But then you've got the straight lesbian rabbi, you know, you know, you know, you know with all kinds of nonsense. Um, I heard not be. be I heard. Being an atheist while being a rabbi. Yeah, I heard a joke yeah, about this joke from about my. This. I work with um, a lot of Hasidic clients in Brooklyn because they buy in one of my mm. markets a lot. So one of my favorite Hasidic clients, like, won't shake my hand, has the curls. You know, he's 25 and he has four kids. Like, you know, he's in the community. He's my favorite, and he mm. told me this joke. But I'm afraid that I might get in trouble if I tell it. I don't know. Tell it, you get two Jews together, it, you got five opinions. <laughs> no, tell it. Okay, we're going to tell it. All right. He said, let me see if I can get it right, because he was telling me, well, you know the difference between Orthodox and conservative and liberal. And I said, no. And he said, at the Orthodox wedding, let me see if I can get this right. At the Orthodox wedding, the bride's mother is pregnant. At the conservative wedding, the bride is pregnant. And at the liberal Jewish wedding, the rabbi is pregnant. <laughs> oh, oh, man. That is hilarious. So he said that's how you tell the difference. Yeah. 
That's funny. <laughs> Please don't get mad at me. Sorry, I thought it was cute. So it's not not a good joke, but it's pretty it's pretty dishonest to like for someone to say like this is the one only view that no, or like when someone you know reinterpret the best way to find out what what the Jewish view is is to actually go back to the you know to the Targum the Mizra Talmud because you get a lot of people who like uh, as as Doctor Josh was saying um, uh, even within rabbinical Judaism they read an article here and there. And they're already experts. No Jew believes this. There's a bunch of Jews that do believe it. Like the dualism thing. I was I backed on a couple of you guys. I mean, Judaism doesn't have the straight view like the way we have it in the sense of, of Christianity of uh, of Satan. But there is a duality of good versus evil. Like, and then when you read like the the, the Talmud and you read the Mishra, it makes it even more clear. It's closer to Christianity than. Than, than 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 their sources, so like it, it's present, and to say it's not, it's like you're just reading that into the text. Yeah, and I guess my thought. Yeah, was, and I guess my thought was, uh, yeah, like whenever you know, because we can't give the Jewish view, because you know, I mean, it's not a monolith. Like lots of lots of people believe lots of different things. So I guess my thing was like when someone's talking about the Ask Your Christian group. <laughs> And they say, well, what's the Jewish interpretation of this? You know, because you're all dumb Christians. Um, then I would want the, you know, Jewish view that most closely aligns to what I actually believe. Uh, because, you know, there are more than one interpretation by different Jewish people. So it's like, well, at least let's get the one that's close, more closely related to the way I read the Bible as a Christian. Which would be, I, and I'm not talking about like even duality and stuff like that. I'm talking about simple things like, you know, the uh, story of Genesis. Like, yeah. Or like the Exodus, like, yeah, it happened. We read that as historic fact, yes. Versus, oh, it's an allegory. Because <laughs> then they're like, okay, well, the Jewish people think this is an allegory if you only hear that view. And the Christians think it's literal. So, you know, who better to trust than the people who, this is their own their own book and they think it's allegory. And, you know, it's like, well, no, there are plenty of people who think it's literal. So if we can only offer one interpretation, let's, you know, get the one more closely to what we think is accurate. So you're a biblical literalist. 